Hello and welcome back to the Giddy Carousel of Pop, the podcast that takes an old issue of Britain's brightest pop mag smash hits and has a good nose through its pages with a guest. I'm Simon Galloway and no, it's not a member of Hot Gossip, it's Hog Gavin. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I'm all right, yeah, just uh, getting my spandex tights on and... Uh... Limbering up a little bit, ready for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. The pattern ones are particularly fetching. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) How are you doing, Si? All good? It's a big question, but I'll just give you a little little insight into what's been going on in my my head recently. But specifically this morning, you know when you you wake up and then you go back to sleep? Yes. And that's sometimes when you're having the most vivid dreams. Mm -hmm. And I was dreaming that I'd gone back to university. At, At the age I am now, so as a mature student... And I've gone to university in Brighton to study law. Don't know why. Okay. But several of the buildings were named after Hazy Fantasy songs. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to get a photo of one called Big Leggy. <laughs> Big Leggy Tower. Yeah. And people were getting in the way. <laughs> I thought, I've got, I've got to show this to Gavin. I've got to take a photo. And every time I took a photo, there was somebody's head in the way. <laughs> Blimey, that's a very niche Giddy Carousel of Pop Dream, right there. <laughs> oh, I wish it. Did you get a photo? I didn't get a photo. Oh, There's always somebody's photo. head in the way. In the way. Oh. Yeah, big hair and, you know, dreadlocks and. Yeah, uh, and big leggies. Big leggies. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Joe, that's all I can say. Normally I can't remember my dreams, but that one stuck with me all day. <laughs> were any of the buildings shiny, shiny? Or were they. Uh, they well, they will have been, won't they? Yeah, yeah sure in, they a, in a hazy, Modernist. fantasy themed <laughs> university. <laughs> That is amazing. What a dream. <laughs> what a life you live, Simon Galloway. And only in Brighton. Eh? Yeah. Only in Brighton. Yeah, Could that's get, very Brighton, isn't could it? Could you get such a thing like that? <laughs> so oh, enough dear. of my uh, scrambled pop head. <laughs> um, so before we set the carousel spinning in motion, Gav, what's the latest from the Coffee and Reviews hot desk? Well, we've had a coffee from the lovely David Bruce. Thank you very much, David. Much obliged. And a review from Johnny KP66. Don't know if he's a big fan of the nuts, Johnny KP. I'm not quite sure, but a lovely comment from Johnny here. It says, "As I walk through the drab scenery of post-autumn West Coast Sweden, with raindrops on my face and the cold wind trying to get under my coat, I still have a big smile on my face." Why, you may ask, and rightfully so. I am listening to my favourite podcast, The Giddy Carousel of Pop, transporting me back to a selected fortnight of the '80s, forever encapsulated between the covers of swingerillant British pop mag smash hits. It's like punk never happened. What a review that is. Thank you very much, Johnny KP66. Quite much obliged. Quite poetic, profound, and, and better than anything I could ever, Absolutely. ever yeah. say. <laughs> but yeah, much obliged. That's, that's very kind. Very nice of you. Thank oh, you. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you want to leave a review, you can do that. Uh, well, it's the ones on Apple Podcasts that seem to get through to us. So please do, if you feel so inclined, leave us a review or click on the stars or something like that. And if you want to support us, you can do that too. It's very simple and it can be just a one-off thing or you can buy us as many coffees as you like, as often as you like. It's up to you. Just go to ko-fi.com slash giddypoppod and chuck us a few quid to help keep the carousel spinning. So Gav, what's occurring in the land of the carousel? So, the carousel spins us back another five years from our previous resting place of 1986, and we alight on October the 29th, 1981. As Sai cleans the carousel, he finds various items from our recent 1986 pit stop of pop. We find some of the most hated objects owned by Doctor, off of Doctor and the Medics, scattered all over the floor, and Martin Degville's fright mask has become lodged in the mechanism, causing the carousel to stop turning. 
I get on the blower to Thumboy 3, but they aren't interested. They visit the fairground, but once arrived and core it, they only care about researching the Tunnel of Love, which they say is for a future musical project. We're in despair and unsure how we'll ever get things moving again, when we suddenly discover a stowaway. It turns out that some young chap has hidden away so he could go back to 1986 in person. He wanted to write a book about the enemy's C86 compilation tape and felt that your actual first-hand experience would be invaluable. Unfortunately, he fell asleep during Sai's anti-86 rant and now finds himself in 1981. We could and should report him to the relevant authorities. There are very strict rules about this Ray Bradbury type of situation. We issue him an ultimatum. Either rid us of the fright mask and have a free ride or enter the Time Traveller's Detention Centre. He leaps at the chance to fix things for us and within an hour he emerges from under the carousel with a torn bit of fabric and declares, Fright mask ahoy! We like the cut of his jib and we ask his name. Nige Tassel is his response. Nige, welcome to the carousel. Hello chaps, hello. Hello, hello. hello. What an introduction, wow. <laughs> Which horse would you like to sit on from the array of horses you see before you? Before I'm, not, you. I'm not one for the carousel. I'm going round and round. Really. I get dizzy and giddy quite easily. And it increasingly so in later life. Ah. Um, I have been thinking, and this is, this is I was rubbish at physics at school, would you get dizzier if you're on the outside of the carousel and you felt like you were going faster or if you're on a, one of the inner horses but you're turning more circles uh, that's, that's a little uh, existential theory I, I'm thinking the further in you are the better I, okay. so I, I think if you choose a horse on the inner circle you'd have to pull me away from the dodgems and the coconut shy first but I will out of honour uh, I'll go on on this particular carousel, it's all horses, and I'm not one for horses either. Oh. I'd say <laughs> getting dizzy and getting on a horse is not in my thing. But there is one that's that's actually a dog that's hidden on the inner circle. Okay. So I'm going to climb aboard of my collie cross back at home. So yes, I'm going. I'm going to ride the dog horse if that's all right. <laughs> so here he is on the dog horse, very close to the uh, inner centre pole. Nice tassel. Very specific. <laughs> Such a prima donna, I know. <laughs> so Sai's going to flick the switch on the carousel, Nige, once you've answered the time-honoured question. It doesn't matter what the answer is, as long as it's truthful. Have you ever been sick in a gumboot? No, I've never been sick in a gumboot. I've been sick a lot. As I say, with, with, with the kind of dizziness. I used to be a horrendous car sickness when I was a kid as well. I also remember going to a fun vet, Valley Fair in Minnesota. Um, I used to live in Minneapolis, and we'd go to Valley Fair. which You go past Prince's Place you go in Chanhassen, and it's beyond there. And everyone else going, go on, let's ride, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. And just feeling really rubbish and oh. throwing my guts up straight away and the whole day being ruined. So uh, <laughs> never in a gumboot, though. I, 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 should I say this? You know, as, as a jobbing sub-editor in a past life, um, um, I once was very nearly sick in the handbag of the editor of BBC Wildlife magazine. Put it that wow. way. I was, I, I, yeah. Um, that'll do us. It was, the, nearest, that's, that's it was the, near, the nearest receptacle, and yeah, yeah. but, but I, I did avoid that social embarrassment. You wouldn't want to be cleaning that with the binoculars, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and upon the truthful answering of that question, we begin to spin. Indeed we do. As Gav says, the carousel has spun us back to the smash hits of the 29th of October to the 11th of November 1981, which Nigel has picked out for us to peruse. And if you want to read along with us, you can do just that, thanks to the Light Punk Never Happened and Smash Hits Remembered websites. You'll find links to the scans of this issue in the episode show notes, along with Spotify and YouTube playlists that include pretty much all the songs and artists featured in this issue of The Hits. You'll also find these links
links on our website, giddypoppod.home.blog, and we'll post them on our Twitter and Facebook feeds as well. Just search for the Giddy Carousel of Pop or at Giddy Pop Pod. So let's go back, back, back to October 1981. What were we up to, Nige? What was life like for you in October 81? October 81, I was 12, nearly 13, so on the, on the, on the cusp of my teenage years. Um, I was in, in Old Money the second year of uh, secondary school, um, year eight, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And I was a football obsessive, but as we'll say, this was my first issue of Smash Hits. And this is why I've kind of selected it, because this is a, this is a real sea change. Um, I was into music before. I used to tape the top 40 since about 78 onwards. So I was aware of it, Top of the Pops. Um, get back in time from football practice to watch out on a Thursday night. But this issue in particular was was when... I headed towards music journalism um, and when I jettisoned the football magazines and we'll, we'll find out why. But yeah, so I was, yeah, bespectacled, looked a little bit like the Milky Bar Kid, uh, had hair then and, and <laughs> lovely blonde hair, um, football obsessive, but soon, soon to become a music obsessive. And what music were you listening to at that So up, up to then, ELO obsessive. Mm. Um, and and that and this is a real sea change because in this particular magazine we have... The lyrics to hold on tight are in here, which was the last thing I bought of ELO. Um, and then one of the major interviewees in this edition became my next favourite band for, for the next few years, definitely. I'll leave it there, mysterious. Yeah, that's a, like, a, like a sense of mystery. <laughs> Stay with us, listeners. <laughs> All will be revealed. <laughs> what about you, Gav? Uh, so, so, late 1981, I'll have started secondary school what what's now year seven like year one oh, yeah. of secondary school year below nine and the year below nine yeah would have been one of the slightly bigger lads um <laughs> in sully hall big adamant fan obviously just trying to find my feet in secondary school because it's quite a scary place when uh when you start i seem to remember and i don't know if it's just the way i've remembered it because it seems like it shouldn't really be allowed. <laughs> but it was the ages, and it probably did happen. In the in the mornings, you'd have to put chairs out for assembly. So there was like a bit of a game. So the year five lads, like the big lads, you know, like year elevens, the prefects would like round up, almost like press gang the younger children into doing it. And if they had to use a bit of uh, physical force or whatever to shove you in, uh, then they wouldn't. It was quite terrifying. You know, you'd arrive on the playground. It was almost like you were kind of fresh meat like were you like the christians and they were the lions you know kind of coming to like round you up um so uh, there was a lot of hiding from bigger kids and just yeah and just generally being terrified of big kids being terrified of punks being terrified of skinheads um quite a violent sort of atmosphere i think in very tribal very tribal it was very very tribal yeah we had a lot of mods at our school yes huge amount of mods in my village and and the school as well especially you know yeah secret affair jam even though you know, Jam were coming towards the end there and Secret Affair probably had, had their, their two hits or whatever by then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the mods seemed to kind of, they didn't change with the wind, really. They, they seemed to quite a permanent fixture going well into the mid-80s. Definitely. Around us, yeah. Well into the I mid-80s. think basically because they carry on being mods so they could get a scooter at 16 and, yeah. you know, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and do the whole, the, whole, the whole trip completely. There was definitely a high Parker quotient uh, uh, on mm-hmm. the playground for sure. Um, Music-wise... Yeah, I was I was taping the charts as well. Um, I just started getting smash hits sort of just before this issue, really. I think I'd started ordering it, and massive Adam Ant fan. And obviously, this is a, a year or two before the Smiths kind of got big, so I was in a bit of a hinterland. Is that I really liked 
adamant, but I was more Kings of Wild Frontier than Prince Charming. So I think I was still kind of looking around, trying to find exactly where where I fitted into things. Um, but then once the Smiths broke, like a six, uh, 18 months later, then, uh, then that was me. I was within two months of this, I became a paper boy. Yeah. So I would get it absolute box fresh, that magazine, that morning on the Wednesday morning. So I would be at school by half past eight with the new issue. So that, that may be mar- marginally popular for, 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 for a little bit. <laughs> and it's stolen off me and then never seen again. But um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was quite a good thing as well, that I'd be kind of first in the playground with that. Yeah, that, I quite enjoyed that. Bragging rights. Yeah. <laughs> what about yourself, Si? Well, like you say, in a bit of a hinterland, I think that's, that's where I was as well. I go through this issue normally, you know, the songs that spark memories or, you know, something. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm not getting very much coming through. Uh, <laughs> but thinking back to that time, uh, my dad had got, um, we'd got a stereo tape recorder the year before, Dixon's own brand boombox sort of thing. But by this time, we'd got into the separate system in the living room, a proper full-size tape deck. The only thing was that the turntable was at one side of the fireplace yeah. and the tape deck and radio and, and amp were <laughs> at the other side of the fireplace. And it got this automatic turntable. So, so you'd, if you were making a tape, and I made lots of tapes. You did. I did make a lot of tapes. Uh, so I'd have to, you know, you'd, you'd have your tape recorder on, on pause at one yeah. side of the room, one side of the fireplace, and then the other side of the fireplace, you'd be getting your record ready. So you'd, you'd click the button, and it'd start lifting up, and then you'd run, I'd run across the other side of the room, listen for it, because there was a speaker at each side of the room, so I'd listen for the needle going onto the record. Yeah. And then let pause off. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was quite a, a physical activity yeah. running from one side of the room to the other. I was just recompiling all the records that were just, you know, hanging around the house. But what I did find, you both mentioned tape in the top forty, and that was obviously something that happened in our house a lot as well. Um but I've been I was just searching on Mixcloud just to see if there are any uh people have started uploading old radio shows to there. And I found the top 40 from the Sunday before this issue came out okay. from Radio 1. 90 minutes of it is on Mixcloud. So I've not been listening to that as I've been driving over here today. Yeah. And I think it's probably one that we would have had on because quite often on a Sunday, we'd go out for walks in, in the countryside into the Peak District. And I was driving through the Peak District to get here. Yeah. And I think it's the one that features Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. So I'm pretty sure that was in the charts around about this time of year. And I remember sitting in the back of my dad's larder. There were so many of us that I had to ride in the boot. <laughs> I wouldn't get that now. I was in, in there with the dogs. Um, <laughs> but I remember this song coming on the top 40. And my dad from the front of the car, from front of the larder, like, bloody hell, do you call this music? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, Someone's rubbing on the front tyre. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he probably did think it. What's that noise? <laughs> yeah, so that, that really uh, sticks in the mind. Also on this top 40, there was uh, When She Was My Girl by The Four Tops, which was the last brand new single I bought of 1981 okay and it was a I think a new entry in the chart that week so the rest of the records I would have bought for the next few months would have been ex jukebox ones or ones from the market we used to go to Sunday markets and things like that so I'd always be digging through boxes of records there and I was only eight years old but <laughs> it was my life <laughs> and you've not changed not really no no, no. In, in terms of smash it's this, this is uh, a period where smash it's wasn't in the house uh, my sister had stopped getting it because she was into you know, rock by then, mm. or heavy metal. 
as they used to call it back then. So lots of ACDC, Meatloaf, uh, Gillen, who appears in this issue yeah. uh, of the mag. Um, and it was about 18 months away from when I started getting it again, but but for myself. So, yeah, in terms of Smash, it's a fallow period. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't in the house. So let's get stuck into this issue of uh, Smash It's, shall we? On the front cover, the Funboy 3, Terry flanked by Linville and Neville. Their first um, Smash It's cover as Funboy 3, although 1981 did begin with Terry on the cover of Smash It's that year. And um, he appeared on the cover quite a few times in the first half of the 80s. And of course, we're only a few weeks since we, we lost Terry Hall, which was kind of... Uh, very surprising and very sad news. And I think, uh, yeah, it was quite affecting mm. for us in here and I guess other people of, of a certain age. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to that feature. Uh, but also the issue promises, and it's quite a minimal cover. Mm. Not any big headlines on there. It's just Smash It's, Funboy 3, Julian Cope Q&A, Japan. Human League, Beatles and OMD in colour. Hit songs by Police, Gillen, Squeeze and many others. That's it. Yeah. And you, you don't need to know much more than that, do you? It's a really nice cover. There's a lot, really, really nice is. symmetry to it. And the, and the masthead being in yellow and yellow and green. The colours of Norwich City at the time, as I probably have described it. Um, and West Bromwich Albion's uh, away kit off the time too. Um, but yes, I think it's, got, yes, it's really, really nice and simple and very clear that would have... That would have stood out from the newsstand in, in my newsagents. Because sometimes Smash It's covers, a year or two later, could sometimes be a bit over-fussy and sometimes using fonts that were difficult to read or colours that were difficult to read on the background. But that's, like I say, it's just nice and uh, nice and straightforward and uh, very enticing to a young pop kid for sure. So we turn the page and before we get to the contents, we get the lyrics to the first song in the issue, um, The Police, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic. And I do remember at the end of this song, when Sting and Co going, eo, eo, like yeah. that. Yeah. So in, in Sheffield, um, and I don't know how, how far this spreads you know, across the north, but another phrase for stop it, like, you know, stop doing that sort of thing is give over. Yeah. Give over, will you? Yeah. And that would get abbreviated to Gio, will you? Miss, tell him Gio, stop <laughs> that, that kind of thing. And it used to drive me mad. I used to, because it always ended up sounding <laughs> a bit like a donkey or something. Gio, <laughs> that sort of thing. And even back then, I, I thought that Sting and the police were singing Gio, Gio, like stop it, give over. And it used to drive me mad. It still drives me mad to this day. I hear it 42 years. <laughs> and it was like, Gio, Gio, stop it. <laughs> Even though you know in your head that Sting and Co aren't from Sheffield. They're not from Sheffield. And I don't know whether, you know, Gio would be a phrase in Newcastle or not. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so let's have a little look at what other songs are in there. We've got um, The Lunatics Have Taken Over the Asylum by Funboy 3. Labelled With Love by Squeeze. You Don't Believe Me, Stray Cats. Tunnel of Love, Die Straits. Twilight, yellow. It wasn't. Hold on tight. You're right. It was Twilight. It was Twilight. Oh, God, sorry. Oh. Bad research. Oh dear. <laughs> bad, bad journalism, buddy. Sorry. Same era, though. Uh, but it was the last single. I know it was the last single. So yeah. it was Twilight. Yes. Yeah. 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 Ah, but underneath that, hold me. 
by B.A. Robertson and Maggie Bell. There we are. That's, are, that's you, what was happening. That's, the, that's you, what you, was happening. Conflated. Yeah. I've conflated. ELO and B.A. Robertson. I mean, I don't think, you know, nowhere in the world could have handled that much hair. Jeff, Jeff Lynn, <laughs> B.A. Robertson, can you imagine that? B.A.E.L.O. as well. Yeah, what, what an acronym. That would be, yeah. <laughs> um, and then she kissed me, Gary Glitter. We'll just move quickly on from that one. Um, Dead Cities by Exploited Nightmare by Gillen. Tonight I'm Yours, Rod Stewart. Physical, Olivia Newton-John. Olivia Newton-John, even. Paperback writer, The Beatles, as the, what is it? Request spot. Request spot thingy. Gloria, U2, Charlotte Sometimes, The Cure. Then there are features on Funboy 3, obviously, being the cover stars. Girls at Our Best. Three of them are blokes, it says here. Julian Cope, as we know, readers Q&A. Japan on the British charts at last. And then those posters, The Human League. Uh, they've got The Beatles in colour from 1966. Japan and orchestral manoeuvres as well. And then all the other stuff that we normally get in Smash It's. So, turning the page from there, we come straight away to the, the cover feature, Funboy 3. Mark Ellen talks to the newly formed band, kind of splintered off from the specials. And we don't get a great sense of animosity, just a sense of Terry Linville and Neville um, just wanting to move on to new pastures, really. Let me read the uh, the introduction to the interview from Mark. It says, Exit the specials as we know them, enter the Funboy 3. The front line forms a splinter group. The rest remain undecided. They can carry on as a specials. They may not. Could this be, if we're going to get nostalgic for a moment, the end of the golden age of two-tone? Well, that's out of our hands, really, is the Funboys 3's official line. That's for Jerry Dammers to decide. And Jerry isn't talking. In fact, he's even taking his phone off the hook, presumably because he's got nothing definite he wants to talk about. The same can't be said of Terry, Linville and Neville. After almost a year of planning behind closed doors, their excitement about the new project is mingled with an obvious sense of relief. Even the normally sombre Terry seems fired with enthusiasm. The split didn't come out of a mass fight or anything, he reflects. Nothing nasty happened. I just got really bored of being part of the same organisation for two and a half years. So um, he talks as well about feeling a bit kind of, I suppose, a bit disillusioned and, and feeling like there was, he, he talks about being on tour in America and being like a lot of road crew that he, he doesn't know. And it, it sounds like he's just a bit fed up about the size that the specials have come. I guess this is on the back of Ghost Train being a big number one single and and suddenly the, the little band that they were in has become has become huge. They've just kind of had enough and they want to move on to new things. I should have mentioned on the left of the, the interview as well, there's a, a story so far of Two Tones starting from 1977 and going up to 1982 where there's just a big question mark because we're <laughs> yet to see what the uh, the preceding year is going to have for us. Uh, Nigel, were you a big fan of Two Tone and the specials? And... Um, certain singles, I bought. You know, we we were saying you know how we had lots of mods at school. We also had lots of kids in Harrington jackets as well. Mm. And there was a lot of crossover. A lot of the mods would have the specials and the Who on their coats that they'd write in Tipex or marker pen. Um, <laughs> what well, I think what's interesting, you know, you say how the Funboy Three was a year in sort of gestation and planning, but. Three months prior to this magazine, they're number one with Ghost Town. Mm. You know, so they'd obviously already had enough at that point. It wasn't just, we're not going to better the Ghost Town, let's go out on a high. Um, it's, a, you know, nine months before, they were already talking about this because, you know, the single's out. So they've, they've clearly recorded this single mm. before Ghost Town is number one or, or around the same time. So I think that's quite instructive as well. Right? It's not that, you know, yep, we've peaked there and yeah. we, we cannot. Let's move on to something else, which is quite an admirable thing. It's that even if Ghost Town hadn't been number one, Funboy 3 would still would still exist. 
Yeah, it feels like there's maybe Shakespearean levels of plotting behind the scenes because, mm. like I say, they were quite a, they were a tight knit group, and then so for them three to have kept it secret all that time, presumably they kept it secret. Then, you know, and I think there's a there's a really telling line from Mark in the in the in the piece as well where he says um, the trio began getting back to basics, fed up with the fact that when composing for the nine piece specials. There was always a guitar or a trombone or something that felt left out if it didn't get part of the action. Mm. So it's keeping nine egos or mini egos in check. Come on, I haven't got a guitar solo on here or Rico hasn't got a trombone solo. And therefore, if you're putting all those elements in, you're going to sound like the previous singles. Mm. You know, there is probably a limited shelf life of, of keeping all those nine musicians happy. And so... Yes, I thought that was quite quite an interesting thing that you know you've only got three people to keep happy if you yeah. slim down by <laughs> by two thirds. Now that, that's interesting what you say as well about the the music. I thought that was yeah, it was a really interesting quote because the music of Fun Boy Three, you can kind of hear certainly elements of the specials in there and like Ghost Town stuff, but it's it's quite an odd beast, isn't it? Their their music it's it's very stripped down, very sparse. It's kind of just really kind of drums and voice for a lot of it, isn't it? And well, certainly that the early Fun Boy Three mm. stuff is, yeah, is it like completely based around around the drums? But I think it's it's also if we look at, uh, back at Terry Hall's career now, we can see that that was the beginning of the pattern. He'd do something for a couple of years, move on to the next mm. thing, do something different. He was a you know very creative person, but a bit of a restless spirit, I think, and and always just wanted to be exploring something new. Well, there's another quote from from Terry in there, which is a hilarious quote. You can admire people like the Rolling Stones for just staying together, but everything else about them is irrelevant. So at that point, they're not thinking of the Stones being innovative musicians or songwriters. Mm. They're thinking of them as a legacy act then. And this is 42 <laughs> years ago. Who, If you told Terry Hall in 1981, uh, yeah, that quote is going to still be relevant, you know, and, and with a band being in their seven, late 70s, 80s, yeah. you know, that's quite ridiculous. But the, the whole notion that two years is a long, long time mm. for him in the band. But I think, yeah, I think you're right, Sai, you know, this, he does, not whether it's boredom, whether it's just the creative urges to do something else. But also, The Lunatics Taking Over the Silent was the first single, and it's pretty dirgy, you know. As a mission statement, as I say, this is what we're doing now. Yeah. Our lips are sealed is far stronger, or the tunnel of love, or something. But this is not obvious single fodder. I, no. would, I would, I would suggest. But I guess it's a good follow-up to Ghost Town. Well, if, yes, if you it, see it, it like it, that. It's in that yeah. same say, mm. that, that same same time signature. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they talk about uh, the music that they play at home, the musical influences. Uh, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club. Public Image Limited, African Beat and Jamaican Calypso. It says, stuff that begins life fairly normal but in unskilled hands, which I think is a little harsh maybe, turns out a little weird. A bit like Terry's new haircut, in fact. I love this bit where he's talking about his hair. He says, I go to this bloke who always cuts it badly, he adds, tapping a forehead that resembles the rim of a large plant bowl with leaves flopping over the edge. When he does it, he keeps the top bit brushed back. But when I get outside, I brush it all forward again. If you could see me walking around like this, you'd have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> but now, of course, all, all the hairdresser needs to do is walk into a newsagent and he will see it in, more, in full glory on the front page exactly. of this particular edition. <laughs> yeah, there is so, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's another interview. I remember another interview at the time, and I thought the quote was from this interview. It's not where he asks, what, what do you ask for when you go for a haircut? He goes, I ask for a Terry Hall. Because by, <laughs> by then, this is probably a later interview, by then... Everyone knows him. Yeah. He's got this, you know, this, this the pineapple haircut. <laughs> I did think that the two-tone story that's on the the first page of the feature by Fred Della was a little bit negative in a way. It, it was sort of like just pointing out, you know, the 
bands releasing singles and then you know, going elsewhere or, or splitting up. But I think that was part of the aim of Two Tone was to do these almost like one-off singles, one-off projects, and then yeah. it, it kind of you know the band would move off somewhere else. And Madness did that, and and the Beat did that. So I think that's more of a positive thing because that was was the aim of Two Tone. That you know none of the bands signed contracts with the label, as far as I'm aware. It was just like, you know, Jerry Dammers was really excited about this music and wanted to, to get it out there. You know, it's a bit of a, a launch pad. Uh, whereas this piece, I think, focuses on, on the demise of Two-Tone right from the beginning of the story <laughs> rather than it, its successors. Yeah, a lot of the comments it talks about, this was the lowest chart placing to date and the not-so-hot this and that and this sank without a trace. Yeah, you don't really need to have that in, do you? You know, it's fine. It does seem a little overly negative. Yeah, not to such a negative degree, or Mm. whether that's just feeding into the creation of the Funboy 3. I don't know. And obviously, we we talked earlier on, Si, you mentioned about the the sad news that we got about Terry. I mean, I I found it affected me more than I kind of thought it would, really. You know, when when I heard the news, I was was really, yeah, it was a, a mixture of absolute shock and also being really quite upset about it for a for a little while and it, I mean it was nice to see all the tributes online and, and be reminded of just what an amazing career he had but um, I think it caught a lot of people kind of by surprise just how much actually Terry did mean to them. And, and perhaps without us even realising you know like when I guess when Bowie died obviously you know that, that was kind of shocking as well but I think we all knew how much Bowie had, had meant to us and I think with Terry it felt more like a bolt out of the blue in, in a way, do you know what I mean? Of like, God, he really does mean an awful lot to yeah. our generation. You know, and he, and he wasn't old, and he, but he didn't look old either. No. I think that's part of it. He looked like recently, you, you could say a man in his early 50s, you know, mm. he looked very much in the middle of middle age as well. So I think that's that shocking element where people who live longer, obviously you can kind of, you can see a, a more physical mm. change, but, but, you know, most recently would have seen, you know, a guy looking in pretty fine fettle. How did you feel about it, Si? Similar sort of thing. It was just like, can't quite believe it. You don't, maybe don't realise how much his, his music has been a part of our lives over mm. the last 40-odd years. I know I've certainly listened a lot more to the specials from Boy 3, Colourfield, in the last 20 years than, than I did in the 80s. It's one of those where, you know, when you're a kid, it's, it's just pop music that's on the radio. Mm. But as you get older, you start to appreciate it more and you, you realise how extraordinary something like Ghost Town is. I've banged on about that <laughs> sort of thing before and I, don't, and I won't go on about that again. But, yeah, and, and like Our Lips Are Sealed is one of those songs that I... I get obsessed with certain songs, and that's one of those songs where I'll, if I listen to it once, I have to listen to it quite a few times before I can move on to a, another song because just everything about it, I just absolutely love, and there's so much going on in there. Yeah, it never feels overdone or anything like that. Mm. So, yeah, his his music, uh, w- without knowing it, uh, I think has played certainly for pop kids, mm. um, played an important part and and a big big part of our lives. But I said we might not necessarily have recognised that and, and, you know, sadly he took his death to have that realisation. Yeah, he was like the cool older brother, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, he was great. We skip on a few pages and we come to a section just called The Pictures. And it literally is just a few pictures, but the first one is an Anton Corbijn photo of Grace Jones with an accordion, one foot up on, uh, on a box... Uh, quite a striking pose. I mean, that's what Grace Jones was very good at. Um, toying with that musical chest expander is Grace Jones, reads the caption underneath. 
outrageous darling of the disco set who who recent unveiled and i think that should be recently unveiled yeah. oh, god proofreader her new invention disco theater at london's theater royal called with typical mischief a one-man show it was a real cocktail shaker of music posing theatrics and athletics she started off in a gorilla suit dispensing with a band she sang lustily to backing tapes and taunted the audience something rotten the star-studded crowd try mid brian ferry and elton john loved it but the, I think the real uh, kind of dominant photo... <laughs> there's only one highlight on this yeah. page, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's, there's four photos. So, yeah, underneath Grace is a photo of uh, Joe Strummer with uh, Rankin Roger from The Beats. And then next to Grace is uh, a photo of the Killjoys featuring a pre-Dex's Kevin Rowland. But underneath that, it's a man called Gary. <laughs> lean, <laughs> leaning on his MG with the bonnet painted... With a very detailed, uh, well, it's an illustration of Toya. And you know, bear in mind, this is hand-painted. Is this, is this an album cover that is recreated on here? I'm not you know, fully versed in the works of Toya or her, her sleeve work, but the, the caption underneath. What about this for devotion then? Gary Price, who drives a post office van by day, became so enamoured of one Toya Wilcox that he decided to dedicate the bonnet of his car to her. He reckons it took about 150 hours of pallet pushing to finish the fantasy landscape. Undaunted, Gary now wants to visualise every song on Toya's Blue Meaning LP. Anyone with a spare Mark II Cortina? <laughs> <laughs> that is just incredible, isn't it? It is quite incredible. Uh, think... Gav, you did a bit of digging on uh, on this. Yeah, well, I, I found a colour photo uh, of it on a, on a Toya website, um, but there wasn't much more information. I was... Thinking mate, there might be a way of tracking him down and seeing whether he did like it. Might be like a whole fleet of Toya album covers riding around uh, <laughs> somewhere. But uh, yeah, I couldn't find any more information whether he whether he did more. I was thinking it's almost like a, a really early kind of red bubble shop. You know, you can go online and get like album covers and stuff on phone cases or pillowcases or duvet covers or whatever. And his was just very niche, very specific. And it'd just be like, no mate, I just do car bonnets. And like, oh, can you do this? Adamant car, no, just Toya. Just Toya. <laughs> I just do Toya, and I just do it on car bonnets, and that's it. Yeah. Now well, else? Well, I did a bit more digging on that ToyaNet website, and yeah. uh, it says about that car bonnet and that photo, one, one of the famous Toya bonnets by Gary Price. Oh, okay. This was the first one, an MG, from 1981, and apparently he did numerous others over the next couple of years. He got stopped by a policeman in the early hours of Christmas Day 1981 while travelling home from the Theatre Royal Drury Lane Good Morning Universe gig. And when I Want to Be Free was in the charts, kids used to dance around the car at traffic lights. <laughs> by spring 1982, he was on the dole and working on a portfolio to apply to go to Chelsea Art College. At this time, he couldn't afford to run the car, so it was kept in a garage. By around mid-1982, Gary was working on a third bonnet and was planning another two. He was hoping when they were all complete that there would be a photo session done with Toya. Unfortunately, this didn't happen. The first bonnet was in loads of magazines and on Nationwide and Tis was. Blimey. So he attracted quite a lot of attention with, his, amazing, uh, yeah. with his artistic handiwork. It went there. viral before we knew what going viral was, but, <laughs> but it never, never got Toya down for that photo session. Why? <laughs> it's a mystery. Hey! <laughs> <Tish>. <laughs> But it's, it's quite remarkable. I'm just wondering whether he did it in situ or he takes the bonnet off. 
I don't know. Yeah. Whether he's kind of leaner because it is it's it's so perfect, it's so oh, detailed. It's yeah. It can't be that he's leaning across it. It must be that he has it on some sort of slightly curved easel or something. Yeah, it's quite yeah. incredible. Very incredible, yeah. Then we come to RSVP. I think this is the earliest instance we've found of RSVP oh, in okay. all the issues of Smash It's that we've looked at thus far. So October 1981. Not quite sure when this started, but there's lots going on in this one. So if you want a pen pal, who would you write to? Anyone there, Nigel, you would have uh, written a letter to? Um, the one, one particular, mainly because of music taste, Sharon Mitchell from Salt Ash in Cornwall. Um, would love to hear from males who hopefully live in Edinburgh. Despite the fact she lives in Cornwall, not not <laughs> ideal, not ideal. But she likes orange juice, talking heads, Oxfam shops, and hates wire coat hangers. And twelve-year-old me, well, wasn't into girls at all at that point. But you know, a couple of years later, that and that, you know, she may have appealed. But certain talking heads and orange juice that would have ticked a couple of boxes for me. And also dislike of coat hangers. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> of all the things to dislike, 1981, quite troubled times. And why are coat hangers are the, 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 the real evil in your life? Um, you're, you're, not, you're not doing too badly. I mean, the whole point of this as well, you know, just you probably talked about this in general and in, in past ones. But, you know, RSVP, I mean, another acronym comes to mind, GDPR. <laughs> because everyone's home addresses, the home addresses of yeah, yeah. these young people are there. You can go and knock on their doors of this. It's Dodgy. It's really, yeah, it's, that's the yeah. really alarming thing that breaks off this, that you know that uh, whoever, um, S. Morrison, lives at five to seven in Edinburgh. Now, that was a bit of an eye-opener, really. <laughs> I think Sharon might have been my dream girl, although she was too old for me. I think uh, a couple of letters below her, just the penultimate letter. Um, my name is Sarah. I'm 16. I'm into Japan, Visage, Human League and Soft Cell. All ant people. Hello. Uh, or new romantics are brill. Drop me a line. Uh, she lived in Wolverhampton, which wasn't far from me in Sulil. So, I mean, you know, I was 11, so I doubt as a 16-year-old she'd have been particularly interested in me. But, you know, as an ant person, I might have been in with a, a bit of a shot and been a pen pal. That's the one that appeals to me, but at this point I'm half her age. So, yeah, oh, definitely <laughs> definitely not going to get child. Um, I'm also interested by uh, Jane Paul in Wigston, Leicester, um, and how she's contractually obliged to be nutty about... <laughs> Madness and bad manners, etc. You know, you, you, there's, yeah. there's no other adjective you can be. Yeah. You, you have to be nutty. And she says, if you're as nutty as me, write to. So, yeah, she, she likes that. Yep. Yeah, the opening letter, two girls, Sheena and Gillian, would like to write to two boys aged 15 plus. Must be into Newman, Duran and Depeche Mode. Must hate modern heavy metal. Interested? And there's a few others. Uh, dislikes heavies and teds. Like most other music, except heavy metal. So it's that, that running theme that yeah. you get. You know, these are pop kids, then. They're not metal kids at all. But there's a couple of people who've put a bit of effort in, shall we say, to what they've written. David Bowie is the interest. Weird clothes is our nature. Bowie's our hero, and way out hairstyles is our fascination. Want to know more? Then write for an explanation to Earn and She. Um, and they're in Sudbury, in Suffolk. Next to that, in the next column, Gary Newman is my desire. Pen pals are what I require. <laughs> so if you're a nice person and have nothing against Mr. Newman, see, that's where the rhyming ends. Uh, if you're a nice person and have nothing against Mr. Newman, do write to me pronto, please. My name is Jackie. And I'm aged 16, and she's in uh, East London. Yeah, Gary Newman. A lot of people like Gary yeah. Newman in this one, don't they? He, he gets mentioned quite a lot. I think f for as many people hate heavy metal, 
There's as many fans of Gary Newman in this. He, he was very much riding the giddy carousel more than anyone else at this point, call I think. Them, call themselves Newmanoids or Futurists. Yeah, the Futurists, yeah, yeah, before yeah. New Romantics had been invented. Yeah. Yeah. Even, yeah. But yeah, you'd think some of the Newmanoids could actually link up together. That they on the page, you go, well, hold on, that works yeah, and that works. Yeah. Like the way you used to watch Swap Shop and you go, no, hold on. <laughs> He wants Crossfire and he's got Sputio. Come on. You know, <laughs> guys, it's in that sort of way. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but um, I, I, I wonder, you know, I, I imagine you've wondered whether, you know, like Blind Date and people who get married from being on Blind Date, whether any 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 people did did get wed and any any people are in the world because of their parents meeting via the pages of GDPR, as we shouldn't know call that. Okay, we move on to the next page and we've got uh, another regular feature, another half a page, this time a Get Smart. And um, in terms of the questions in this one, sometimes we have some very bizarre, very niche kind of questions. This is more like we're just wanting Smash It's to be Wikipedia of its day, really, just kind of asking yeah. for information. It's kind of discography heavy. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's like yeah. going on discogs. The first letter I think is really interesting. I watch and enjoy Top of the Pops every week. Where can I write to to get tickets to go to the studio? Which is a really good question because you think it was on every week, but there's never an address at the end saying this is what you need to do. If and you... everyone's always really jealous of who's there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, Jane Burton from Walton Cross has asked that and uh, smash it right back to have your name put on the waiting list, right with an SAE. That's a stamped addressed envelope, kids. To <laughs> TOTP, Ticket Unit, BBC, blah, blah. Uh, at present, the wait is just two years long. Wow. So that's amazing. I was thinking if you were like a pop kid in 81, thinking, oh, yeah, I really. This Fun Boy 3 group, they seem really good. I'll, I'll ask for a ticket now. And then, obviously, by the time you get get round to uh, being in the top of the pop studio, you'll be watching, I don't know, Paul Ardcastle or yeah. <laughs> post-true Spandau Ballet or, you know, something you're not bothered about. So, yeah, you, it's a bit of a lottery, really, isn't it? I think it was a, such a long wait. Is there anything in there that uh, caught your eye, Nigel? Um, well, in particular, I mean, everyone asks nice, polite questions, but I love uh, Margaret Bankovitz from Airdrie. She couldn't even be bothered to ask a question, turn it into a question. Altered images, discography, and fan club address, please. <laughs> Very to the point. Isn't it? I mean, it's a please in there, but, you know, <laughs> there could be a bit more social graces there, but fair play. Again, again, another discography. And the fact that, you know, people couldn't look up. You know, we're so, it's so ingrained in us how to find information. But back in the day, you go to your local library for information. Obviously, the small discography at this time of altered images isn't exactly the content you'd find in Encyclopedia Britannica. So it yeah. is an outlet. So it is Absolutely. performing a, a service, definitely. Readers also asked for the uh, the names and four ages of Depeche Mode and the singles that they've had. Someone else wants to know the highest chart positions reached by the Susie and the Banshees singles. What's happened to Roots DC if they split up? And then there's uh, some Discogs heavy uh, questions about Teardrop Explodes, who we'll be getting on to uh, fairly soon, about what happened to certain missing numbers of the catalogue. But yeah, all all queries dealt with in a comprehensive and perfunctory manner. So um, pop kids have had their questions answered. Okay, so we go past a half-page advert for Penthouse and Pavement by Heaven17, the new single. Funboy 3's new single, using uh, a similar picture to that that was used in the interview. The lunatics have taken over the asylum. And then... It's an unusual choice for Smash It's. Uh, we get one page on Girls at Our Best headline, Girls Will Be Boys, bar one, referencing the fact that there's one female in the band. Interviewed at the time of their debut and, and it turned out to be their only album. Um, Mick Stand, who's not a writer I think I've come across in the past. Is he? Well, do you think it sounds like a bit like a made-up name? I think it might be, Gav. Mike Stand? Mick Stand? Oh, I never thought of that! 
Because <laughs> I, I, I was reading it, I'm thinking, I've Googled it, can't, I can't find anything about a mixed stand anywhere. So, <laughs> so I just thought, you know what? I Googled it, couldn't find anything. What do you do? And, and you know, who's going to know yeah. about mixed stand? Hepworth and Helen, of course. So I dropped them a little line. <laughs> oh, uh, at least, yeah. <laughs> David replied within seconds. Mark, uh, well, early this morning. So, so they both uh, got there. But yes, it is a pseudonym. Ah. Um, so <laughs> Mark said it should actually be Mike Stand and not Mick Stand. And if you see, there are some reviews later on uh, attributed to Mike Stand and not Mick Stand. And if you look on Rock's back pages, you will find some features. Uh, ah. written by Mike Stand. But yeah, so Mark says, Mike Stand not make, it was a tortuous pun. Uh, and David <laughs> said, um, Mike Stand was a, was a smash its name of Phil Sutcliffe, used because Sounds, who he also wrote for, wouldn't permit him to write under his own name. Think I made it up. Oh, wow. So there, there you go. go. It's Phil Sutcliffe from Sounds. I've worked, yeah, we had magazines I've worked for, Philippa Page. <laughs> Is, uh, is, 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 is was was everyone used it? That was the communal one, and so the, Philippa Page got a lot of posts, you know, because right. yeah, there was was you know, various PRs going. Oh, was Philippa in today? Philippa, oh, Philippa, no, she's not. Uh, no, no, no. I've not seen it today. But yeah, Philippa Page was a good one. But yeah, Mike, Mike Stand, very good. I didn't realise it was Phil Sutcliffe though. That's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, very good. No, I, I genuinely, genuinely had no idea. I was like, I've never seen that name before in in here. I wonder who that is. Oh. <laughs> such a fool but at least I didn't write to Dave Hepworth and Mark Ellen asking them because uh, yeah that would have been even more embarrassing there we go so uh, and photographed by Paul Slattery so we're talking about their debut album uh, and uh, Phil or, or Mike or Mick uh, starts the piece saying it's four feet across bright red and yellow and looks like a bizarre altar plumb in the middle just where you'd expect the bible to be there lies the sleeve of the girls at our best debut album Actually, it's a shop window display unit and at £165, the most expensive piece of cardboard I've ever laid eyes on. In the basement of Happy Birthday Records, it was serving as a doorstop, but in the chain stores, it will be competing with similarly extravagant promotional paraphernalia, featuring more familiar faces such as the police and meatloaf. Amazing. For a moment, we all gaze at it in awe, as if it really was a holy shrine. Then we laugh. But Judy Evans, girls at our best singer, proclaims, I'm fascinated with the idea of selling yourself. Everything is consumerism. So there we go. It's, I mean, Girls at Our Best were kind of an indie band from from Leeds and a lot more kind of art school than the kind mm. of bands that you generally get in Smash It's uh, even around this time, but managed to grace the pages of the hits with a page. So we get a bit of biography about um, previous bands they were in, a band called The Butterflies, and then they got played on John Peel. Sold 7,000 copies of their song Girls at Our Best, which they then used as the title for their uh, their next band. And, um, yeah, there we go. I mean, I was thinking in terms of the style of their music, Nigel, obviously you've, you've recently had a book out uh, detailing the Enemy compilation cassette C86, which it kind of gets misremembered a little bit in that people think it's all jangly, jangly, twee yep. pop music, and there's obviously yep. bands like Bogshed and uh, similar kind of noisy bands on uh, on the Ron Johnson Records label, but... The C86 sound is that kind of sound. And in many ways, I think kind of Girls at Our Best, would you say they're kind of precursors of what became that indie jangle pop Definitely. sound? You know, that jangle sound did not, you know, we're talking the day after David Crosby hmm. has passed away as well, you know. And, and someone tweeted yesterday, without the birds, hmm. does indie pop even exist? So the whole notion of jangle just coming along in 85, 86 is nonsense, you know. 
you think about all the postcard stuff in you know in 81 or whatever 80 81 and girls and at our best kind of fit into that and smash it's to me at the time was really interesting because it still ran the independent charts you would still get you know we've, we've got the cure later on the cure weren't a top 40 band at that point either mm. you know there's still a lot of alternative i mean because the writers some of them were former enemy writers you know they're not smash it's at this time it's kind of quite a lot of different things mm. at the same time that it wasn't maybe later when it's full-on Jason Kylie bright bright pop because a lot of the pop this time came out of the post thing. so Adam mm. and the Ants coming out of that um, Culture Club coming out of all of that so a lot of them have these alternatives they all lived in squats mm. you know coming out of uh, like uh, an art school scene like you know, Leeds one especially yeah. you know with Gang of Four the Mekon Squishy coming out of that Soft Cell coming out of that you know really Pokemon and Girls at our best at the same time it kind of makes sense that they're there but also also I, th- I, th- I think it's presence as a, a an interview might have something to call me an old magazine cynic might have something to do with the full page ad that appears later in the magazine and that being yeah. part of the the <laughs> terms and conditions of taking said advert out call me call me cynical um i suspect if that ad wasn't taken out yeah there's no reason that girls in their best would have percolated to the top because they mm. weren't at the top of the more independent bands at that time mm. but fair play um, and i have to say judy's cheekbones are just astonishing cheekbones. They are just—I mean—I remember looking at this picture back when I first got it, and just she's quite, quite astonishing looking. You know, she could be a pop star in a, in a very kind of you know a less alternative kind of way. You know, yeah. um, and certainly the I wrote the lyrics down as well, which not the greatest lyrics, I have to say, and <laughs> put me in mind of a band who kind of came sort of a year later. The, 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 these are the kind of lyrics that Toto Quilo, <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> i.e. cannibal uh, hit makers. Uh, this is the lyrics to Waterbed Babies. Water babies in the sea, water lemons are for tea. Water beds are made for me, they make my mouth water. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. So whether they're making a real attempt to, to be real popsters, having a, you know, fairly nonsense lyrics, you know. Yeah. These aren't lyrics that are going to please the kind of enemy bunch. I don't know. Maybe that's what they thought. Let's, let's go out all out pop, but didn't really make that either. I mean, any fool knows that opal fruits are things that make your mouth water. Exactly, not, water, yeah, not don't, watermelon. Don't chew on a waterbed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Although she she does have a bit of a proto banana armor look about her. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah, definitely. Yes. You yeah. know, which again, you know, banana armor. You know, coming out of the punk scene as well. You know, they're all all quite alternative people mm. that then become these pop stars in eighty eighty one eighty two mm. before soap stars sort of became them. You know. <laughs> A bit more careerist as opposed to you know people having a bit of fun and escaping the ghetto of being alternative types i guess but um yeah for some reason it just didn't happen for for girls, girls at our best. best despite the exclamation mark they didn't excite people quite enough i don't think no. yeah i mean uh, there's quite a lot about how good looking judy is yes. which uh you know you wouldn't have like in, in a magazine today i think because from after we kind of get the sort of potted history of the band then uh, it says it's quite clear that the most instantly distinctive girl is the girl judy her voice soaring above what james describes as the band oying away is high pure and jolly like a girl guy singing pop or a choir boy soprano on the edge of breaking out of innocence perhaps strange even to judy and it talks a bit about the sound of them and then it says then there's, there's a face when I say something hesitant about Judy being good-looking, in quote marks, the blokes chorus, us too. So, all right, she's beautiful. Knows it too. People have always told me I was sexy, at least since I was 12. 
Huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was frightening at first, though, and then uh, it kind of talks about her becoming more comfortable with her looks now and then um, using the kind of... talks about the sensual tenderness of some of the songs and including the uh, the song that Nigel's just referenced there. I mean, I guess of all the, the bands covered in this issue, the, the Girls at Our Best have probably got the clearest direct line to, yes, to the bands yes, that, yeah. that you cover. In, I mean, uh, at the, the time, book. you know, this is the year of C81, which was the first mm. Enemy cassette. So that was, you know, a lot of rough trade outfits. So Squiddy Pility, Robert Wyatt, and a few others like that, that a lot of people, you know, in, in, uh, people talking about the, the book, a reference to the book, and, oh, I prefer C81 myself, you know. <laughs> but a lot of the people I talked to really like C81. A lot of the musicians on C86 love C81 because they were about that age then, yeah. the right age for it. And they all thought that was what C86 was going to be like. It's just like, oh, it's a quick snapshot and it will disappear and a footnote mm. to history and no one will know. And, you know, you won't have someone poking their nose, knocking on their doors 35 years later going, yeah, you know that tape? Oh, bloody hell, <laughs> not again. Uh, yeah, I want to talk to you about it. Um, <laughs> but, yes, so they, they all thought, yes, it's going to be just, yeah, OK, this will go out. It will help us a little bit, but it will disappear after three months and no one will... It was just collecting people's attic, but C86 itself, you know, becoming a subgenre of itself um, for whatever good reason, whether it's a straight jacket or a springboard for them. That's the tenor of the, uh, of the book, really. Moving on, we get to bits. There's news on Elvis Costello, Hazel O'Connor, the police and Paul Weller, Chaz and Lee from Madness talking about their respective push bikes and scooters. Smash It staffer Bev Hillier gets a tyre nail paint set uh, and there's a, an introduction to um, ABC. I love just one quote from Martin Fry on the ABC piece. Um, we want to do with funk what the police did with reggae. Um, which and, and I didn't really kind of see ABC as fun. You know, there's, there's funk no. undertones, but it's still larger pop outfit. But what I found going back through this how much funk was current and big, you know, so you've got, you've got early level 40, we've had ads for early level 42, um, big full pages for links, uh, Imagination would have big ads as well, um, Freeze being, mm. um, you know, I mean, funk seemed more of a, it didn't feel like a standalone genre of itself, it was just something that was there in the thing, but, but the amount of people referencing funk or saying they're a funk band and Spandau at the time, mm. you know, that they would be too. And um, that's what really kind of, hit me because you don't see funk is just a kind of almost a continuum it's not like a standalone it's not like a mod revival it's not like new romantics mm. it's just kind of always there um but yeah it's quite interesting to so to martin's quote that you know he, he aspired to having the, the cultural impact of the the police which yeah. is kind of quite a strange because police used to get really slagged off for kind of you know white white reggae the, the, the white reggae you know so it's it, it, yeah. quite weird for, for someone as smart as Martin to make that reference and, and mm. liken his band to them because I wouldn't have said that was necessarily a favourable. This would have probably been the first time that it appeared in Smash It's as well. So this is almost like a manifesto, a, totally, an open yeah. statement. And yeah. yeah, I thought that it didn't quite strike the, the right note in no. terms of what I know of ABC. So they would never in a million years have uh, likened them. The t- no, because t- when we think of Lexicon of Love as well, which obviously came out... Um, not too long after this, and we never think of that as a funk album. It's kind of just a classic pop, mm. isn't it? Sophisticated mm. pop album of its of its time. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it does have you know, it's elements of I funk get, in it. Guess, but, well, it's, but it's not, more, yeah, it's more like the chic disco sort of Nile yeah. Rogers chick, 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 uh, yeah. sort of guitar. That, but you don't you don't think of it as a funk classic, no. do you? The no, album no, no. as a whole at all, you know? But, yeah, sure, there's elements of funk in it, but but it, it feels like here 
uh, you know, as Nigel said, that he's he's really kind of pinning his colours to the mast there, the funk mast, the funk mast. Were, you know. <laughs> uh, it needs to get off the funk mast. Um, and it's, it, 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 he adds the quote as well, which says, you know, that means making funk acceptable to everybody. And it's like, well, is it unacceptable? Yeah, I think it kind you of know, it's, 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 it's not like he's trying to reinvent it or, re, you know, rebrand it. And it's like, well, is that necessary? But it's, yeah, very yeah. strange, very strange. I wanted to mention, because uh, this was something I didn't know anything about, and I'm quite a fan of, of the jam and, and Paul Weller, but uh, it talks about the third and final edition of Paul Weller's December Child Poetry magazine is currently in circulation. He says he's going to do something different next time, so this is your last chance to grab a look at the old format with its collection of various original verse and essays. The cost is 70 pence, including postage and packaging. It seems like a good deal, doesn't it? And then it talks about what the jam are up to next. I looked it up uh, on eBay. Issue one sold fairly recently for 36 quid, so a lot more than the 70p it was. And they, they listed it as original and very first issue of a great artistic modern punk fanzine with poetry and features on authors, actors, painters, etc. New wave and electronic music artists covered, such as Anne Clark, but also psychedelic like Sid Barrett. Includes original poetry by the Jams Paul Weller. Some of the poems have copyright Paul Weller 1979 and also Weller 1978. So there we go. That was uh, that was something I wasn't aware of. And being someone that's very keen on a fanzine, I was Ooh. like, ooh, I never knew that. Turning the page, we've got a whole uh, full page for Adam and the Ants. New album cassette, Prince Charming, featuring hit singles, Stand and Deliver and Prince Charming. 379 that'll cost you at HMV on album or tape. And then another full page ad, this time for Gillen's Double Trouble. And then we come to ELO, or EL No, as they EL, were EL, EL, for you, yeah. Nigel, with Twilight. They were entering the twilight of uh, my appreciation of them at that point, yeah. <laughs> what did Jeff Lynne ever do to you? Oh, it was fine. And, and you know, he took me from 1977, 78, up until 81, you yeah. know. Have you, have you come back round on the ELO carousel? I, I, I've not. No, no, no I haven't. Left left but they, I, think, I think for a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, it's terrible I'm saying this, but they, they were a good in that meant I kind of sidestepped prog. Pretty much, you know. Oh, so, well, so I think, uh, yeah, I didn't. Prefer, although my appreciation of ELO was because I, I confused them with ELP, and I've only realised this in, in recent <laughs> times that a particular ELP song, uh, the Common Man thing, um, I thought was ELO, and that's what I based on buying my first album being an ELO album, uh, thinking that was them, and it wasn't. It was ELP, and so I, I mistakenly became an ELO fan, but. But happily, yeah. didn't go down the uh, the bumpy road of prog. Oh well, that's, that's yeah. good. Emerson Lycan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. You know, who have to can only recruit a drummer whose surname begin with P. Yeah. So they had to have Cozy Powell after yeah. Palmer. Palmer departed. It's a shame Keith Harris didn't uh, hook up with Emerson and Lake, and it could have been ELO, but a very different e- ELO. Emerson Lake and Orville. Now that would have been good, wouldn't it? <laughs> prog Duck. That's a new, a new prog genre. Duck. <laughs> This genre for you. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Dire Straits' Tunnel of Love, A, because of the the very long video. Well, it's a very long song, about eight minutes, which, if you've not seen, is is quite hilarious with uh, Leslie Ash climbing up uh, a ladder to some... It's, it is an egg pod. Uh, it's not the egg pod podcast, um, but, yeah, yeah, climbing up there. I mean, it's, it's all very kind of 1980s, uh, like, Vogue fashion shoot yeah. sort of looking thing. It's actually, I thought, quite a stylish video. Uh, for and, Dire Straits, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for Dire Straits. They're not in it very much, which is commendable. They're not doing the acting part of it, again. 
blessed relief for that. Uh, and they do a lot with the little footage that's in the video. <laughs> <laughs> they make a little go a long way, don't they? they do. Mark and the boys. Yeah. I wanted to talk because the, the song is kind of about fairgrounds, and obviously we're currently on a fairground. We are. And I was, I was going through, I was like, when's you going to mention Giddy Carousel? Is it so... It says, getting crazy on the waltzers, and I've been riding on a ghost train, where the cars, they scream and slam, and the big wheel keeps on turning, neon burning up above. These are all different lines from the song. Come on and take a low ride with me, girl, on the tunnel of love. And I was thinking, is he going to mention the giddy carousel? And then finally we get a mention. It's like Mark Knopfler looked 42 years in the future, and he suddenly thought, I need to give them boys a, a little, uh, little thumbs up, a little shout. And he says, and now I'm searching through these carousels and the carnival arcades, searching everywhere from steeplechase to palisades. It's like a little tip, tip of the hat from the head-banded plank spanker himself. And I was very happy when I read that we got a mention on there. So I, did, you, did you look through for a mention? I did indeed I thought you might. note the carousel <laughs> mention there. I thought, thank, thank you, Mark. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to say, Mark, we noticed, we appreciated it. <laughs> Didn't mention the coconut shine, did you? No. no. Oh, no. <laughs> We move on past the girls at our best uh, whole page advert. Which, the, uh, the, the thing that opened the doors for an interview, yeah, I reckon. Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. And then on to the singles page, uh, reviewed by Dave Rimmer. And there's a really nice mix of stuff uh, in this. Quite a lot of funk in, in this one, which we'll, I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, we get positive reviews for ABC. We get a single of the week with Tears Are Not Enough. It says, against stiff competition in a fortnight of fine and funky singles, this one wins by a hair. The vinyl debut of the latest in a long line of incredibly hip Sheffield bands. This is a funk attack on all fronts, from the thumb-slapping bass and the pounding percussion to the fluid horn runs and the stroppily soulful vocals. Passionate, intelligent and proud, with a defiant dance rating. ABC inspire optimism for the future of Brit funk. Great. So, again, referencing back to what Martin Fry was saying about kind of reinventing funk and, and then probably... Uh, in all the subsequent singles that came after that, there probably wasn't an awful lot of talk about funk, but uh, no. it's here in spades. Um, Dave gives a f dance rating to every single. Um, some of the other songs he talks about where he gives a positive review. Um, Pig Bag, he gives them a dance rating of Frenzied. Scritty Politi, get a thumbs up from him. Bits and Pieces, get the dance rating of Deadly. And uh, a singer I'd never heard of before called Werner Lint, I think that's how you pronounce it, which I really like. That uh, gets a thumbs up from Dave as well. Funboy 3, their new single, The Lunatics Have Taken Over the Asylum, which we talked about earlier. Again, another positive one. He says, a decidedly odd little ditty from the 3X specials, a mess of percussion and Middle Eastern noises with lyrics referring to Reagan, Thatcher and imminent nuclear destruction. Occasionally sounds like the lunatics have actually taken over the recording studio, but does have its own peculiar charm. I can't dance to it. So there we go. It's kind Another. of damning with faint frank yeah, phrase, but annoying that the cover artist <laughs> does have its own peculiar charm. <laughs> okay, so there's a, yes. Yeah. Well, I suppose, as I was saying before, it's, um, or maybe, no, I think it was you, Nigel, was saying it's it's maybe not what you'd imagine for a, a lead-off yeah. single from a, from yeah, a yeah, band, yeah. But, um, but it does kind of work its way into your head. A few negative reviews, The Scados, or The Scardos, Annie Anxiety, um, Saxon. Dance rating for this was Crash Helmet Recommended. Uh, and The Police... Dance rating. I tried to dance, but I dozed off. Anything <laughs> in there that uh, appealed to you, Nigel? Any any of the reviews or any of the singles that you particularly liked? Well, you just you just get a sense of the quality of writing in Smash It's, and that's what introduced me to really engaging writing. You know, I, mm. I wasn't someone who would have read Nick Kent or Paul Morley at the time in Enemy. Too young for that. But the fun that used to come into Smash It's pages. So you know, we can tell Dave Rimmer, obviously great writer at the time. Um, 
And so it's just just a knockoff phrase like describing Scritchy Politi as the one-time do-it-yourself doodlers. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the use of alliteration mm. is, is really good. Um, there, there was one earlier, I'm just trying to see where it was now. Um, it just... It's just really playful and engaging, but these are also people, you know, these are these are good writers who others might think they're kind of dumbing down by writing about pop. Mm. But in fact, they're elevating it, you know, and the way that Mark and Dave Hepworth and all the others, how Mike Stand would write about pop, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just really smart and crafted, you know. Mm. It wasn't just chuck away. It was making kids kind of read some well-crafted just well-crafted one-liners or whatever. Um, obviously, they wrote, uh, you know, uh, like Punk Never Happened, which is a fantastic book at the time Absolutely, as well, which, yeah. which really kind of encapsulates this this whole particular time in, in the pop world. Well, you do get the feeling that, you know, often I think um, David Hebworth had said when, when he was riding the carousel that singles reviews could be a bit of a chore. Uh, it'd be a bit like you'd be given a, a carrier bag full of 30 singles. It's like, review those. It's like, oh, yeah. you groan. But it feels like some care and attention has, has been put in put into this. He's not just throwing it away. He's actually, well, come on then, let's let's enjoy this. Let's let's see what you got kind of thing. But yeah, I did notice, you know, he's, he's judging them all on their danceability. And along with you know, how he judges the police, I tried to dance, but dozed off. Uh, it says about Randy Crawford, Secret Combination, which it was playing on the playlist. I thought, is this Sade? This is a bit early for Sade. Yeah. It's very uh, Your Love is King. But he says to that one, no dance factor to speak of. Uh, and the, the single that I most enjoyed, I think, from this lot, and, and it was ba- particularly because the review of it made, made me think, oh, this one sounds like it might be interesting. Bumble and the Bees, not a very uh, appealing uh, or promising kind of name with a track called Fools. A reggae band without a drummer, but with a violinist. Sounds unlikely. Sounds great. Ex-Steel pulls single Michael Riley, bangs a bass drum and sings. The rest of them constructs an interesting, soft-textured sound. Genuinely unusual, intelligent and well worth a listen. And I agree. Yeah. There we go. Gets the Galloway thumbs up. It does indeed. <laughs> Well, we've dealt with the singles now. Let's have a look at the albums reviews and uh, albums in this issue from OMD, Lynx, Gillen, Elvis Costello, Martha and the Muffins, Vice Squad, Bauhaus, Rex Smith, Rachel Sweet, Imagination, Joy Division, The Meteors and Bad Manners. Um, lots of high scoring reviews, uh, but a- any standouts for, for, for you gentlemen there? Uh, Nigel, any albums there or, or just the reviews themselves? Well, the, the, yeah, I mean, the two albums that would stand out there are almost blue Costello country album, but also OMD's Architecture and Morality. Now that was that would have been this issue with where I would have been uh, aware of the album itself. They'd had uh, Jonah, uh, Souvenir and Joan of Arc had been hits by then, made of Orleans about this time. Um, I like the idea of OMD because of that album specifically because they were pop and they were pop stars, but the music was quite soundscapey, you know. Mm. It was the sound of a kind of mist-shrouded Mersey estuary mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, anything bright and colourful. And yet they were still playing the pop game completely. Um, we'll see later, you know, there's a nice colour po- photo you can cut out and stick on your wall of them. But I thought they were really quite interesting then and quite, and I quite you know, I, I like the idea of, you know, my tastes were kind of maturing a bit then. So mm. stuff that wasn't just bright pop, first chorus, first chorus, bridge, mm. first chorus. Um, that it was, you know, quite, quite atmos- more atmospheric, I guess. But yeah, almost blue as well. You know, this would be a gateway drug to people getting into country music. You mm. know, the, the people who 
wouldn't have heard of George Jones, but have heard of Elvis Costello. Get that, and then in the way that Dylan was the sim- did a similar job with with old blues guys or old folk guys, they are the stepping stone to allow people the kind of the portal to allow people to kind of get more you know get a bit deeper into the music. So yeah, that would work as well. Um, but one one particular my favourite line of the entire magazine <laughs> is here. Um, we said Alfred Della was a bit negative with the two tone stuff earlier. It's negative again here, but some great lines. So this is his closing lines for the review of Bauhaus's Mask. Mostly it's back to the catacombs, shadows and fluttering bats. Fetch the cross and garlic, Edgar. We may have visitors tonight. <laughs> I just thought that was just brilliant. You, you wouldn't wonderful. expect that in a teen mag, you know. I think it's just really having... Again, it's the writers having so much fun with what they can do, you know. They don't... They're not, they're not straight-jacketed in a way that enemy writers would have to write in a very pseudo-academic, <laughs> pseudo-poncy way. You know, they can just have fun. And I just love that, you know. Fetch the cross and garlic, Edgar. That's brilliant. We may have visitors Four tonight. Ten. Four out of ten, yeah. oh, I do feel sorry for Bauhaus. They didn't half take a kick in back in the day and, and still do. People don't remember them fondly, but... I've always liked them, but there you go. And again, it's one of those bands, like, like someone like Gillan as well, that would always have a heavy presence... Mm. In, in in Smash It's Pages and Susie and the Banshees and, mm. and everyone, you know, we've got... The Meteors gets gets as long a review as Lynx does, you know, as Imagination does. You know, I, it was still that very open-minded sort of, uh, you know, it's a fortnight in mag. They need to fill it with stuff as well. If they, yeah, yeah. you know, if they narrow what they're covering, then, you know, they've got limited amount of pages they can go to. But, uh, but yes, you know, I, I find it really fascinating just the, the breadth of stuff that they, they, they did include. I was I was surprised with uh, Bev Hillier's um, review of Body Talk by Imagination because we we know Bev as being the writer who really loves sort of disco and, and soul and stuff. Uh, I mean, she gives it uh, a good score. She gives it 8 out of 10. But um, she says, If the 45s won you over, then this debut album is sure to appeal. It's all there. The haunting melodies, tinkling piano and voices that reach out for notes that others wouldn't dare try for. The sound is unique. The material is classy. And overall, the album is faultless. And then she sounds like an old nana. Why they ruin it all with those silly outfits, I'll never know. Still, listen, don't look. <laughs> Eight out of ten. I mean, you know, kind of watching them on top of the pops and their outfits, it's kind of it's just fascinating, isn't it? I mean, they just always look so uh, kind of camp and hilarious and really having a good time, you know. Yeah. I was surprised that she put that in there. I thought she'd have quite liked the way they looked, but um, I guess not. Yeah, I think it was probably easy to dismiss imagination back in the day because of mm. how they looked and, and how they kind of draped themselves around the top of the pop stage and stuff. But listening back to them now, their albums are fantastic. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, I just like didn't recognise at the time just how damn good they were. So, yeah, she's right to give it an out of ten. And I, <laughs> I don't have any issue with them kind of flaunting themselves around on you top of the You wear them outfits around the house, don't exactly. you? Exactly. That's, that's, that's how I do my cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Screwing the kitchen floor in my uh, Lee John outfit. Yeah. Lee John, of course. Lee John. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the, the review for Joy Division still, which if, if you're a Joy Division aficionado, you'll know as the posthumous release, I guess we can call it, the double album that collects together sort of rarities and um, the, the last gig, which I think is probably from a, a rough cassette recording uh, recorded at Birmingham in 1980. And it's a hard old listen. I do have the album. I, got, I had a big Joy Division phase when I was oh, probably about 14 years old. So yeah, about seven seven years or so after this issue came out. And somebody gave me the still album. 
And I think I've only ever listened to it all the way through once. It was just, oh, it's just such hard work getting through it, particularly the, uh, yeah, the version of Sister A that lasts about three days um, <laughs> on there. But Red Star gives it nine out of ten. So, you well, know. <laughs> well, still was the first Joy Division record and possibly the only one I owned because it did totally put me off them as well. Yeah. Um, you know, kids at our school who weren't mods, who were what we call bleakos, wearing the grey coats, you know. <laughs> And I, I, I sided with them. But when they started tipexing Joy Division on their yeah. pencil cases, you go, oh, Joy, oh, I've seen their name in Smashes. Refer back to that. Oh, nine out of ten, this must be good. And just, again, I must have played it once. And, yeah, I probably gave it away in the end because it just put, totally put me off them. It really did. Um, yeah, I thought it was not a good advert for them. And, uh, and that's the thing, you know, in the way that it can introduce you to really great stuff, mm. it can also... Introduce <laughs> direct you to the stuff that yeah. Yeah, you don't want to listen to. It performs a service both ways. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we'll leave the album reviews there. Moving on to our next feature, but before we get to that, uh, who do we encounter? Only an advert for UB Bloody 40. <laughs> Uh, the, every, uh, issue. every issue, every issue, they're go. in there somewhere, um, and it's the uh, dub version. Uh, UB fourteen dub um, present arms, so that's that's what's <laughs> lurking uh, in a UB forty styley in uh, in this issue of uh, hits. And then we get to one of the features that's mentioned on the cover of the mag. It's a Q and A with Julian Cope. Now Julian is is pictured. On on a bed, uh, and I can't yeah I can't decide whether this is his bedroom, whether it's a hotel room, and what's what's because the, there's a heck of a lot of photos here. Now some... I've, I've I've studied these these pictures yeah. back in the day, yeah. in, including the little portable telly in the background. Yeah, but it's it's quite a chintzy eider down. It's not it's, you know this is, this is pre duvet days. That's when they were called eider downs. Um, it's quite chintzy, and I thought, oh, is this his bedroom or is this a B and B? And in there he mentions how his bedroom is dark. And this is definitely not dark. So I'm of the thing mind that it's, he's possibly on tour or down in London staying at some chintzy B&B and they persuaded that he can do the pictures there because I can't imagine he would have that... Look at that, you know, it's, it's kind of a patchwork eider down, isn't it? It's in black mm. and white, but I'm, I'm seeing lots of pinks and, yeah. you know, lots of kind of, you know, pastel shades amongst that thing. I, I, think. Th- I think you're right. Yeah. Because yeah. where was it? The Columbia Hotel that he always used to stay in in London. I think oh, yeah, yeah. Mentioned in uh, Head On. So I-, I wondered if it if it might be there. But, yeah, he's, he's uh, lots of photos of him uh, surrounded by the fan letters uh, with his hair cut rather short, rather shockingly, and uh, and barefooted as well. On, on the subject of haircut, I mean, they, they mentioned it's a drastic haircut. I remember taking this copy of the magazine downstairs to my mum Bear in mind, you look like the Milky Bar kid at the time, don't forget. Um, saying, I want my hair cut like that. Um, and bear in mind, she was the one who probably cut my hair at that time. Yeah. It was like, no, <laughs> was the polite answer. But I, I, I literally remember, this, this is, of all the Smash It's features, this is the one that I, I can remember so vividly and remember particular questions now without having looked at the magazine again. Yeah. Um, just because, because it was the first magazine I had. There, so I'd, I'd read it probably more than I read any other edition. Um, but but Cope was, I'd like reward, I'd like treason, and I think just on the basis of this, I thought, yes, this is they are going to be my new favorite band because ELO's road has run out for me, and mm. and this is a bit cooler. And he's still, 
he's kind of a not pop pop but he's still good enough for smash hits and he's also an ad for the face in this issue and he's on the cover mm. of that as well so he's someone who's i should be lev- you know graduating to him you know i should be moving up so i, I jump fully on board the the cope train at this point definitely kind of like you were saying before about uh the, the new pop stars coming from that kind of quite arty post-punk world yeah, and yeah. his julian's another example isn't he you know and it, yeah he fully embraced he was a proper pop star for totally. some time wasn't he you Absolutely. know we, we kind of Absolutely. forget now because he's he's quite a, an outsider figure these yeah. days you know and, but, and, and knowing what his hair's like these days i imagine that was probably the last haircut <laughs> he ever had 40 years ago um, but yeah great great hair as well that like, isn't it that's, that's a lovely haircut i'd have yeah. loved to have hair like that at that age mm. so i think it was it, Featured in Smash It's quite a lot, particularly mm. during the um, Teardrop Exposed days. I think probably because he gave good copy. Gave good copy. It was photogenic. They were still they still had some hits. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't like they were girls at our best on the fringes. They, mm. you know, had a couple of, well, I think Reward got six or seven, I think. A treason yeah. about 12. You know, they're having good Passionate top friend. 20. Passion yeah. Friend. So at least three top 20 smashes. Yeah. Dancing yeah. on uh, grand pianos on top of the pops. <sighs> yeah. On acid. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about, about drugs and, and smash hits and the world collide, and I just wanted to uh, read a short bit from uh, Mark Ellen's wonderful rock star, Stole My Life, where he talks about doing some drugs with Julian Cope. Fancy line of chop, Julian Cope asked, before I'd even taken my coat off. The damp yellow speed had made its way to Eric's club in Matthew Street too, and the band were having a pre-interview nose-up. Cope, their charismatic leader, had wide eyes, big boots, a flying jacket and a grin like a suspension bridge. He was tipping huge, conical mounds of chisel onto a plastic tabletop. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Seemed rude not to. But this made our home fair look like talcum powder. I turned pale and began perspiring. Anyone for a top-up? Cope suggested. I hoofed down another, so I followed suit. Waves of adrenaline surged through my body and my hair stood on end. One more for luck. The teardrops were seasoned consumers of eye-watering stimulants and seemed barely affected by it. But three dibs of this and my heart started rattling my ribcage. Sweat stains the size of Shropshire appeared on my shirt and I'd lost the use of one leg. We filled both sides of the cassette with fizzing gibberish and I sprang back to my hotel room and lie vibrating on the bed, <laughs> staring at the ceiling till nine in the morning, teeth gnashing like a steam hammer, brain mushed to guacamole. I creaked my way painfully to the station, feeling as though my internal organs had been taken out, pummeled with a milk bottle and then put back in the wrong places. It was an omen. Drugs and I didn't seem to get along. And I never took any ever again. <laughs> Fizzing gibberish is a great phrase. As his nose up as well. I love that. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. This is this is a, such a great uh, article, isn't it? It kind of reminded me of the kind of thing that Q magazine would do at a later stage. You know, there's kind of Q and A's. Get get readers to uh, send questions in, and it's a lovely way of kind of engaging with the readership, isn't it? And kind of getting them in, in there. And there's some really good questions. I really liked, uh, what's your first childhood memory? Uh, I think my favourite one was, uh, do you still look in car mirrors to check if your hair is all right? And he, he said he, he does, and it's, uh, what did he call it? Mirror hopping. Mirror hopping. Yeah, yeah, which he used in the lyric. Um, if you like, if you worship Scott Walker so much, why do you say that you would never like to meet him in real life? Uh, and there's also a lot of talk about Toxtus, because this is around the time of the Toxtus riots. So... Um, Obviously, the uh, the readers and fans know that he lives around there, so he, he talks quite a lot about that. So it, it kind of encompasses all things. It kind of very much the smash it's kind of thing, 
the magazine would later evolve into sort of quite um, surface level stuff, but then also a lot deeper stuff around politics and so on. Completely. Well, the question preceding the Tox, the first Toxteth one, is can you suck your big toe? I mean, <laughs> what other publication would segue? So screechingly between those questions, you know, I think that's, that's amazing, you know. Can you suck your big toe? What about race relations and uh, urban yeah. urban violence? And you know, it's it's, it's extraordinary. And um, one one question that I remember so clearly was, do you prefer red or green apples? And his answer is green. Defo. Now, Defo. at the time, because Brookside was still three years off. Oh no, no, not three years. Oh, about but, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, eighty-two, eighty-two. Off, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't that familiar with the Liverpoolian vernacular. And, and once Brookside came along, I knew about Defo, I knew about Busies and, and, and everything else. At this time, I thought he was just being really, really rude. Because if you're Defo in the school playground, you know, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So I was going, green Defo. It's like, well, who, why would they know this? Who would have asked you this before? It's, you know, it's like, Defo, how many times do I have to say this? And for, so despite my, I thought, oh, yes, he's, he could be my hero. That one question was like, oh, but. Is he that nice? Because yeah. he's just a defo today. And it wasn't until you know the likes of Damon, Damon Grant, and Gizmo Hawkins came along <laughs> that I realised what what defo actually meant. You know, to someone who who lived in Sefton Park. So there we are. <laughs> I've just noticed that we, we talked in the RSVP section earlier on about someone hating medleys, and there's a question almost uh, referencing all the same bands. What do you think of the new medley craze, e.g., Star Sound, Typefit, Gideon Park, etc.? So it was obviously very kind of. Current and people were thinking about about it. A it lot. was it was the jive bunny of its time, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Julian wasn't a fan. He says, "I think it's the musical abomination of all time. <laughs> I think it's disgusting. I think it's so crap. I don't even think people like Tenpole and Squeeze doing joke versions is reasonable." So uh, I yeah, wasn't, yeah, I read that and I wasn't aware that Squeeze had done a joke version. Maybe there's it's an album track that I'm it's not a, aware of. A B side, I think. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like right. a, yeah. Like a hits medley kind of no, thing. I can't. I can't. I, can't, I, can't I've, I have got it somewhere. I can't. I can't okay. remember. No, okay. <laughs> I do have it. <laughs> Yeah, I like this question. Now that you're officially a Sting challenger, Julian, oh, God, <laughs> does this worry you and do you think it could affect the quality of your music? That's from Janet in Bishop Stortford. Um, he answers, no, because I've got this self-destructive force in me which cuts my hair. Means that there's not too many problems about that. Like when everything becomes too serious, that side of it, I usually do something that hams the whole thing up. I think that yeah. <laughs> perfectly, uh, yeah, he, he, he's very self-aware yeah. of what he's like and how he will kind of yeah, self-destruct or destroy these things when it's going in a direction that's, that he doesn't like. That's quite a prescient kind of little quote, that, isn't it? You Most know? definitely, uh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's a strange... Uh, Phrase of well, it's sting challenger. A sting challenger, yeah. Because <laughs> you have to stop and think. Oh, what do you mean by that? Oh, right, okay. Like a pop Plays star. Bass. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's like Plays a bass, blondish sort of hair. Yeah, yeah. Good looking. Yeah, yeah. Singer, but yeah, it doesn't exist as a thing. No, <laughs> itself. Yeah, it no wonder Julian was like, oh god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't want to be. Don't want to be doing that. But yeah, really entertaining article. This. I mean, uh, like we said, it was always good copy. It was always interesting. He was, he was lively, had a good sense of humour. He just felt he was always on Julian Cote, wasn't he? And, and ready for whatever they, they threw at him. And, and, an, uh, and another thing that I liked in this that, that, that kind of pushed me towards him was that a couple of weeks before this had been school holidays, the half term. And we didn't go on many holidays as a kid, but uh, one we did do was go and stay with a friends of my mum's up in the Lake District. And I remember going on the, going from Euston, taking the train up to, up to Grangeover Sands and Olverston. And, and it went through Tamworth, 
<laughs> and I'd never heard of Tamworth before. And then two weeks later, we find wow. out Julian Cope grew up in Tamworth. I've driven here, stopping at Tamworth services as well, um, just to pay homage. Um, so that, that made it, oh, yeah, Tamworth, oh, yeah, I've heard of that place. Because yeah. at that time, I only knew Britain, England in terms of football teams, mm. you know, of, of, which were the sainted 92 football league teams. And so that's how I knew my geography. And so well, what's, where, what is Tamworth and where yeah. is it? And the fact that I've gone through it, and so yeah. I could kind of connect with them, that was... Another extremely shallow way of picking my pop stars at the age of 12. <laughs> uh, it's nice as well that he references, uh, someone asks, what groups do you like from present times? Miranda from Whitstable. And he says, Joy Division, the fall, early pop group. And he says that he really likes uh, The Sweetest Girl by Scritti Politti as well. So there's some nice little pointers there. I don't want to think that I've done too much research on this, but that's the Miranda from Whitstable is Miranda Harvey. Now, Miranda Harvey is the wife of Ian Rankin, but I've done some research and it's not her. She was oh. <laughs> Ian Rankin's wife was was in the fourth year at Edinburgh University by then, but that would have been really nice. That would have been amazing. That's the kind of little rabbit holes that you know <laughs> some authors kind of distract themselves from writing. You know, <laughs> sitting down and actually writing books by going, "Oh, I wonder if," and then spending two or three hours on the internet, coming to an absolute dead end and wasting three hours of their lives. But no, those the Miranda Harvey from Whitstable is not, unless she was still a smash hits reader at the age of twenty-two whilst at Edinburgh, Edinburgh University. And the one other, one other slight bit of trivia, trivia kings like us. Um, so we found out in that piece that uh, Julian Cope is the cousin of the former Wales rugby captain uh, and British Lion, Brian Price. Mm. And if you live in Newport, Brian Price was the captain of Newport Rugby Club when uh, uh, they beat the All Blacks famously back in the 60s, in the late 60s. So that's a nice little, little flick to, to someone who writes about sport and music. You know, when, the, when these two worlds, you know, they, they coalesce sometimes. It's quite nice. So, yeah, I found I learned that yesterday. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I do like the last photo, uh, which is the smallest one uh, of them all because it's quite a photo-heavy piece of Julian sort of pondering the questions and exasperated and, and things. And the last one is just him uh, laughing manically. <laughs> yeah. Eyes closed, mouth open, the caption underneath it. Wah! Pete Wiley. Exactly, uh, yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, but also above that, it says um, All those readers whose questions are quoted will be receiving an autographed copy of the new Teardrop single as soon as it's released. Fantastic. I will drift it. And they did have one more single, I think, after this stage. So uh, there was, <laughs> they, they weren't in existence for too much longer by the sort of middle of 82, I think, weren't they? So, mm. But yes, yeah, so. so you know, he was my new favourite pop star to the extent that I had to then pick. So I, I got hold of the Kilimanjaro album, the kind of reissue one that put mm. reward on it, had the, the Zebra Mount Kilimanjaro on it, got that. Got Wilder for Christmas that year. And then when my English teacher said, we need, you need to do a poetry project and pick a poet and decipher their poems. And I said, can we do musicians? Can we do... So I, I very, very pretentiously at the age of 13 did an English project on the lyrics of Wilder, which... At the age of 50, mm -hmm, I still wouldn't understand. I suspect yeah. Julian Cope didn't know what the hell he was writing at the time if Mark Ellen's tales are true. <laughs> so the notion of the 12-year-old, and she's going, and I, remember, I remember the response was, yes, quite an ambitious subject, <laughs> C minus. I didn't know. You know, it's all about Leila Khaled. And they put, I didn't know who the hell anyone was. You know, Seven Years of Jerusalem. How am I going to dissect what the hell that song's about? Yeah, so, um, yeah, really pretentious, but was fully on the Cope train for a while until until, until we find out, and I found out they'd split up mm. on Saturday morning kids' telly, a programme that, I can't remember the name of it now, the one that Tommy Boyd and Isla Sinclair used to produce, oh, used yeah. to present. And she she used to do the music news, and like a kind of newsroom thing, and she says, 
the teardrop explodes have done that. They have exploded. I remember my brother pissing himself with laughter because they were my favourite group and going, ah, you, you nailed your colours to this band for six months and they've gone. Um, but yes, no, uh, yes, I still, anyway, still, still great, great pop music, great pop, Absolutely, you know, yeah. but not pop, pop, but, you know, music, you know, great psychedelic edge to it, you know, and yeah, I love them, love them. And, and, you know, some of the C86 bands end up, you know, Mighty Lemon Drops sound very, very similar, very mm. clear, clear lineage there, I think. Not for the first time on this podcast, Rod Stewart has left me feeling a little queasy. We've come to his lyrics, uh, Tonight I'm Yours, Don't Hurt Me. I just wanted to read some out and uh, kind of... Just, just <laughs> mention it, poetry Let them marinate them, you know, in, in your brain. I can tell by the look in your eyes you've been bored for a long, long time. You need love and so do I. I think he's after a bit more than love, to be honest, Rod. Let's turn it all around. I don't want an everlasting thing. I don't care if I see you again. So grab your coat and honey, tell your friends you won't be home. You won't be home. You won't be home three times. It's gone from a bit cheeky to like just sounding a bit threatening uh, three times. There. I don't really want to challenge you, marry you or remember you. No one was thinking about marriage at all there. But uh, I just want to make love to you for 24 hours or more. Or more. Or more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he says, tomorrow morning we won't cry. You go your way, honey, and I'll go mine. I'm the one who didn't waste your time. Remember me this way. And if you never see my face again, think of me as a permanent friend. You're more likely to be remembered as someone who's maybe given you an STD, but there we go. Uh, the one who loved you like a hurricane, then disappeared, disappeared, disappeared. So, yeah, good time, Rod. Just loving them and leaving them. Yeah. Making love with them for 24 hours or more. 24 hours, but way. then saying the next morning, bugger off. You know, his grasp of time and mathematics isn't, <laughs> isn't, isn't the, the most acute. But... He's, he's not consistent, is he, there at no. all? Not at all. Did you watch the video? I did. <laughs> I felt grubby after. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, lots of scantily clad ladies. I mean, you know, bikinis is probably the most that they're wearing. In yeah. It. Uh, or cavorting uh, in and around a swimming pool. I'm guessing it's LA, man. Rod and the band performing to them. And you do feel rather grubby watching it. I mean, I don't know whether Top of the Pops would have shown that at the time or not. It certainly wouldn't probably, appear possibly, now. but. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware, there's a, a, a channel, it's certainly on Freeview, I don't have any other TV service, but there's a channel called That's TV mm. that crops it. It shows lots of comedy repeats, and the sort of comedy repeats that even ITV3 won't touch. <laughs> See, we're talking like the <laughs> Benny Hill show and things like that. But they have lots of music video programmes on there. They'll just like stick an hour on, yeah, 80s hits and stuff. It's obviously just you know cheap filler just to fill up the schedules. And I occasionally, you know, if it's one of the music video hours that they've got on, I'll occasionally just flick it on and have a little look. And this video came on, and I was like, oh, my God, they're actually showing this on television. <laughs> but then again, like I say, they show the Benny Hill show on, yeah. on there. So that video is sort of like where the worlds of uh, Benny Hill and Rod Stewart collide. <laughs> if only you'd sped up and been chasing them around the, the edge of the swimming pool. But yeah, if it had been doing the, the Yakety Sax yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I would have watched that. Yeah, that would, yeah. Have, that would be good. In fact, I might speed the video up and put that music on <laughs> Do it. Do like a remix version. Yeah. Stick, stick it on YouTube. There we go. <laughs> OK, we, we move on from Rod, who's left a bit of a funny taste in our mouths. And a bit of a rash as well. <laughs> yeah, <ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> Move on to far more um, artistic and well-mannered young gentleman uh, that Japan. Dave Rimmer has gone round to see them. It's, it's like he's visiting Japan's crib. 
Uh, MTV Cribs was a few years away, but uh, he's popping around to Mix Flat. Dave says, uh, arriving outside Mix Flat, just to see David roll up in a car, we are ushered upstairs and shown into a living room, strewn with mixed sculptures and curios picked up in Japan. Yuka, a Japanese friend of Mix, serves up scented tea in thin china cups. All of a sudden, it seems like some horribly appropriate Japanese tea ceremony, a little piece of Tokyo just off the Gloucester Road. Though the feeling soon passes, Japan looms large in the conversation. Their first album went gold there, and the band found themselves selling out the 11,000-seater Budokan in Tokyo for two nights, while back home they were still having difficulty getting gigs in sordid little venues like London's Marquee. They're so popular there that when Mick was invited to do a sculpture exhibition in London's Hamilton Gallery, the news was broadcast on Japanese national TV. I wonder whether their Japanese success, which keeps them in readies for about eight months of the year, while they slog away at other markets, had anything to do with their name. The opposite seems to be true. Their record company in Japan didn't want to release their album at first until they changed their name. I can't imagine, Mick remarks dryly, a band from Japan called England doing very well in this country. <laughs> Which would have been great. I'd loved it if Shona Knife had called themselves England and then done an album called Visions of Scotland. That's, uh, that's kind of the parallel to draw there. But uh, I was amazed how long Japan had been going. It took about their first gig in here. It had been 1974. So by this stage in 81, you know, they were kind of, Old hands have been a band, and they're onto their last album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is amazing, and obviously, like the hits are about to begin. Um, Ghost is only about six months away from this, so this is just as they're about to kind of go stratospheric. When they were only stratospheric for a, a relatively short time, but were you much of a fan, Nigel? Uh, I was just going to say, you know, that gave Sylvian sort of eight years to perfect that. Uh, Brian Ferry impersonation, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I wasn't a big fan of them too much. Odd, odd singles, Ghosts, I like Night Porter. But yeah, the, 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 again at school, a lot of, lot of guys were had the Sylvian look, you know, the ones who weren't the mods. Some of the bleakos kind of went into kind of yeah. Japan, a lot of sun in the hair, went, get, trying to get away with a little bit of makeup in class, or on non-uniform day at least. I wasn't that great because I wasn't a great fan of Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. So the, the voice, I couldn't get beyond the voice for a, a lot of stuff, I'm afraid. Yeah. So futurist Roxy Music, weren't they? Yeah, and, and the voice just feels too affected to me. Mm. Just sing properly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sing properly or don't sing at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I just found it just a bit, yeah, just a bit affected and yeah. didn't quite get it. And I also had that, that feeling and, and then seeing the comment and maybe the mixed comment is when it, where it came from about the fact that it's a weird name. It's a weird name for a band. Mm. And, and there are, you know, there's lots of bands who are named after places. But it seems very strange that they would still be popular and selling out two nights at 11,000 people at the Budokan. I know. It's just, wow. You know, it didn't, it didn't put off them, mm. but it, it, it's, it's the weirdest thing to be the name of a country that you're then big in. You know, the whole thing of a Japanese band being called England, you know, yeah. totally. It, it's, it's really, really weird to me. But yes, and, and the name is just, was an ad hoc name apparently. And then, yeah, and then so stuck. they just yeah. made it up and, and then that was that. Yeah, but, uh, an, an interesting band. So, you know, they're certainly a fascinating band, even if I didn't appreciate them musically too, too, too much. I was watching um, a few of their videos today and I suddenly thought, there's a bit of elements of, obviously, Roxy music, but also a bit kind of Duran Duran. But if Nick Rhodes had been the lead singer, yeah, because he's kind of, he's, yeah. he's, he's a good-looking uh, lad, isn't he, uh, David? And they were, I guess, a bit less willing to play the game, a bit older than Duran Duran. So although they were, they were big, it was a short time, maybe a bit like Julian Cope. They were happy to be pop stars, but not to go like the whole hog and, and do, you know, 
I yeah. guess, huge tills of America and and the whole MTV thing. They were always a bit more aloof and reserved, weren't they? You got the feeling with them that they they played the game a little bit, but not. They wouldn't go the whole uh, the whole way. I mean, Sai, obviously, you're a huge Roxy Music and uh, Brian Ferry fan. How did you get on with Japan? Uh, I liked them, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Uh, I've always thought that David Sillin was like, you know, the voice of Brian Ferry, the hair of David Bowie, circa Young Americans. But there is a part here where they are talking about Roxy Music and my, my screen's gone off, so Kevin, could you please do the honours? <laughs> Just re- reading that little bit out, please. So uh, David's talking about some of the other music that he likes and he's, he says he's had uh, some records given to him by the record label Virgin. They gave him Devo, John Fox and Human League and he liked the Human League one the best. And then it said, and while there's still some truth in the old appraisal of them as a lavish Roxy rip-off, especially with David's ferryish vocals... The more you listen to any particular track, the less true that seems. But what the hell? Anyone who bothers to listen to their forthcoming single, Visions of China, and the very Chinese-influenced album that follows it, is going to be pleasantly surprised. I was. Yeah. Because I think they they did go to some uh, lengths sometimes to deny that they were sounding like rock music and things, but they used the same producers and the same string arrangers that Brian Ferry had used on, on some of his solo albums in the mid to late 70s. So they were clearly looking at, you know, who did those records, looking at the credits of them and, and getting those people, specifically those people, to work with them. As right. opposed to going in absolutely the direction, finding those names and not hiring them whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. You know, all the, other, all the other engineers and producers they could call upon, <laughs> but yes... Slight contradiction there, maybe, yeah. One of the <laughs> things that I, I liked in this, uh, David talks about, uh, he says, when, when we started our PR, people tried to get us on television, but people said we were too visual, which is a pretty ridiculous statement. I mean, being too visual for television, that's, that's quite something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Huge achievement, though. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> so there we are, Japan, too visual for television. I, I didn't really like them that much at the time. I think I found them a little bit too arch and a bit too... Just cold. Cold, yeah. yeah. Uh, I like them more now, I must say, and you know, and some of the David Sylvian solo stuff I've I've really enjoyed. But um, I think because you know, as we said, they've been around quite a while by this point anyway, so they didn't really feel like part of the brand new pop stuff that was happening. They already kind of felt like the old guard a bit, mm. you know. So, yeah, um, well, it, but it does mention in the piece a bit like you know that the, the times have sort of caught up with them. Mm. So if you think about the the Quiet Life album that was 1979. And the song was wasn't a hit then, wasn't a hit until eighty one. Yeah. So and that's a couple of years ahead of Duran Duran you've already mentioned. But listen to the intro of Quiet Life, listen to the intro of Planet Earth and yes. tell me they are not one and the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess they were kind of slightly ahead of the curve. Uh, and you know, and how influential were Roxy Music and David Bowie on the whole neuromantic thing mm-hmm. in terms of the other boys? I think it was one of the other issues. <laughs> You're that, outside. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just having a bit of a ferry there. Um, no, but it does. Mention, I think there was a review that we encountered maybe a, a couple of uh, issues ago, uh, saying that you know, singing through clenched teeth makes you sound yeah. like Brian Fraser. Like, yeah. And I guess it kind of does. Yeah, yeah. Open your gob, Sylvia. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Enunciate, boy. Enunciate. <laughs> we come now to the letters page, and uh, what are the burning issues of October 1981? Well, one little letter here. Dear Tiswas, the answer to your competition is half a pint of vinegar and a Kojak wig. Please send me my prize of two self-adhesive shaken Stevens rubber kneecaps. And uh, that's from Ruth in Basildon, uh, who says, P.S., 
Have I got the right address? <laughs> Uh, no, Jenny, letters there that um, represent the burning issues of the day. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we talked earlier about, how, you know, someone was moaning about fashion back in, you know, of the age of the typical reader. And there's a couple of letters here that got the whiff of parents writing in about them. <laughs> um, there's one about the ubiquity of young men wearing makeup. Quote, millions of blokes are walking around looking like they've taken a nap in the middle of the road when the council were retouching the white line. So <laughs> reference to, uh, to, to the ant people there. And that was David Essex, David, Essex, brackets, that's David from Essex, uh, is, is, is the editorial comment. Then another one from Karen Clover, a, quote, anti-poser from Birmingham, <laughs> railing against tiny-minded zombies following the latest fashion trends. Can they really only afford to have half of their hair cut? Why on earth are boys turning to frilly blouses? Which just has the whiff of parents (laughs) writing in, seeing seeing what their kids are reading and writing in. And then we have an actual letter from a, quote, worried 34-year-old mum from Mansfield for whom the letters page is her first port of call. So we've got someone who who loves loves the mag so much and uh, a little secret pleasure from from there. And uh, one one other letter that struck me was... The letter responding to obviously prior complaints in a previous issue about the price rise from 35p to 38p, a massive inflation busting three pence hike, and someone pointing out how the magazine is now bigger, and so the average price per page has actually been reduced. Now, this letter is signed Claire Tennant Clapham, and as a magazine veteran, I know the practice does go on of when you don't have enough letters for the magazine that staff writers. Write the name, write them ah. under more pseudonym stuff. Pseudonym stuff, <laughs> Gav. Um, and th- this one is signed Claire Tennant mm. of Clapham. And you suddenly think, hmm, hold on. There was a very famous future pop star on the editorial team with the surname Tennant, mm. could quite possibly live in Clapham. Um, is it a thinly disguised pseudonym? pseudonym? Um, trying to, you know, put out the company line, go, no, actually, it's much better for they fairly for money. Um, but no. In fact, it's not. I've gone down another wormhole, oh, yeah. another <laughs> rabbit hole, another dead end. Neil Tennant didn't join until the year after. Ah, um, okay. But yes, that, that, that had, that had the, the whiff of someone <laughs> someone internally writing that letter, I think. Um, of people moaning that it's gone up a full three pence and that's six half P chews that, the, that someone can no longer have every fortnight. To be fair, it's a, an, over a 10% uh, increase, isn't it? You know. Oh well, yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, like, less, than. Less, less than. Sorry, just less, less than, than. But yeah, yeah, yeah. almost more than, but yeah. less than. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't do maths, so I'll just leave it to it. <laughs> sort out amongst yourselves. <laughs> I've embarrassed myself again. There, I'm sorry. Uh, a letter that stuck out to me was uh, about we were in Sheffield as we were recording this, and it was about the Sheffield scene. Uh, reference in a previous article. While I enjoyed your article on the Human League immensely, there were some omissions to the Beginner's Guide. Ian Marsh and Martin Ware were also involved in groups called The Studs and the perhaps aptly named Musical Vomit. And uh, it also mentions Cabaret Voltaire, Clock DVA, and it's a very kind of train spottery kind of letter from uh, John Donkersley and Jason Tabiner in Streatham. So I got in touch with Roger Quayle from Clock DVA from the excellent uh, podcast My Life in the Mosh of Ghosts, which I think we, we mentioned um, in a recent edition of uh, Giddy Carousel, sign. We, we we're did. both fans of that podcast, yeah. well worth listening to. And I, I sent him a copy of, of this. I just wanted to fact-check it, see if they've got it right. And he said, yes, that reads true. Uh, AD, is it AD or Addy? Addy, AD, whichever. Okay. Probably uh, answers to both. <laughs> Addy, uh, that'd be Addy Newton, and Judd both contributed to Music for Stowaways by BEF. So they've got the facts right. However, I found something, well, they got it wrong. So Jason and... Uh, 
Gary, who reckon they know all the facts. They talk about a band called Salon Graf that Ian Burden was, was part of. Uh, and he said their only vinyl is a track on the compilation Bouquet of Steel LP called something like Glenn Miller and his contemporaries meet the musical Janines with a packet of jelly babies on a Caribbean monolith. Well, Gary and Jason, that's not correct because it is actually Glenn Miller and his musical Intimacies meets the musical Janines uptown with a packet of jellies and a Caribbean monolith. You fools. So yeah, <laughs> pop that in your pipe and smoke it. We move on. Uh, there's a an advert for, as, as Nigel mentioned earlier on, the uh, issue 17 of The Face with Julian Cope on the front. Uh, there's some tour dates there. Flock of Seagulls are playing. Who else have we got? We've got Crass, Dr. Feelgood, The Go-Go's, Haircut 100, ELO, who obviously Nigel wouldn't be going to see after this <laughs> point. Uh, the Damned are playing with UK subs and The Exploited. And then uh, on nights out, we've got Mark Ellen going to Bracknell Sports Centre to uh, to see you too and i thought this was quite interesting i looked up bracknell sports center in berkshire it's an entertainment complex located at bagshot road in bracknell berkshire and this is from the wikipedia page because i thought it was kind of a, a an unusual venue really i don't remember hearing about it before it said it was particularly popular as a concert venue between the late 60s and the early 80s hosting bands such as this is quite the roll call iron maiden u2 genesis twice first time supporting arthur brown's kingdom come free the Jeff Beck Group, Madness, Thin Lizzy, Traffic, Roxy Music with Brian Eno. I've got that bootleg. <laughs> Thought you might. <laughs> Status Quo, Captain Beefheart, Dr. Feelgood, Wishbone Ash, twice, Stiff Little Fingers, Motorhead, Hawkwind, five times, uh, Stranglers, Groundhogs, Rory Gallagher, Focus and Yes. So, yeah, quite quite the venue. But its most, its most conspicuous uh, contribution to popular culture is, of course, happened five years before this. It's where superstars used to be filmed at the Bracknell Sports oh, Centre. It's where it Kevin Keegan wobbled and came off his bike and took all the skin off his arm and back. Oh my lord! That's to to the to the the, the pre music sports fan of me. That's what Bracknell Sports Centre meant to me. <laughs> Kevin Keegan <laughs> heading shoulder first across the cinders. Ooh! Wow. It's, watch it. It's, it's he's wobbling for about forty yards. It's like he's never ridden a bike before, <laughs> and it just comes flying off. It's terrible. But yes, that was Bratnell Sports Centre meant to me. Oh, yeah, but I, I didn't I know did... it was such a venue. But yes, I, I, know I knew that. it for its uh, for its sporting. Well, there's a good uh, pub quiz question. What links Captain Beefheart and Kevin Keegan? There we go. Bratnell Sports Centre. <laughs> there we go. So a very positive review from uh, from Mark. They deliver with the obvious confidence that comes from having several hundred gigs behind you. They're completely in control of their songs and can thus devote all their energies to projecting them right. You can always tell when a band's going down well. The singer chucks a bucket of water over the front row and everyone screams for more. I guess this was quite an early... I mean, obviously, they've been, they've been going for quite a while, but in terms of chart success... Yeah, yeah I mean, not really any chart success. No, I think the Gloria second, second, yeah, caught the reaches of the charts, didn't it? But second album's just come out, so it yeah. wouldn't be really until the beginning of 83 uh, with New Year's Day. New Year's and, Day and, and that, that first one, yeah. Because yeah, I, remember, I remember the top ten of January, one of the weeks of January 83, is Wild Story of the Blues is number three, New Year's Day is there, um, and Echo and the Bunnymans, what will it be, The Cutter? Yeah, were all in the, and that having kind of jumped onto this kind of the poppy end of the post punk thing with Teardrop Explodes just a month or two earlier. So I'm like, oh, these bands, these bands are good. Maybe mm. I've made the right decision here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I was fully onto Echo and a Bunnyman by then, and and War as well. You much of a U two fan? 
you uh, too, yeah, I had October and, and, and War, yeah, you know, I uh, went to see them in 87 at the NEC with Micro Disney supporting. Fantastic. Oh, right. I was probably the only person in the entire NEC that had heard <laughs> of them, let alone could sing along. So I was right at the back, was two she... rows from the back of the NEC. And he just came out, and Carl, Carl Cochran came on stage and goes, we're Micro Disney and we're shit. <laughs> <laughs> which which 12,000 or 11,999 yeah. other people uh, seem to agree with. Yeah. Then in the break, they played old Beatles hits and everyone's doing Mexican waves and singing along. It was the most bizarre thing to go yeah. from Micro Disney to 12,000 people singing, saw us standing there and going absolutely crazy about shit. But anyway, <laughs> happy days, happy days. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of the mag. It does bring us to the end of the mag. So I'm just interested to know how long you've stuck with Smash Hits for. So I'm probably into, certainly 82, then 83, I got into the face, possibly from ads again in the back of there. I went to the face before I did the NME, so just making it colourful and glossy. And, you know, I was a paper boy by then, and we, I'd nab the one copy that would come into, into the shop. And then got into the enemy from that. So probably, probably half of, probably a couple of years of smash hits, and then yeah, then went into what supposedly grown-up stuff, you know, yeah. really pretentious face stuff that I didn't know what the hell it meant. But you know, by then I was I was happy to be pretentious. So and so. Would you have uh, put up any of the posters on your wall at all? Um, if, well, one of these I did. In fact, the, the Beatles one that we haven't kind of lingered on the, um, the shot from, well, from the video of Paperback Writer that they did, wasn't it? One of the first kind of pop videos, you know. Them all amongst the undergrowth with Rickenbackers. Yeah, I had that on my wall um, in the bedroom. I can see exactly the point. That was just under the window. I had that. And then maybe it's, you know, some sort of determinism that I then became a paperback writer. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that, that's, that's the, 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 the reason for it all was this, you know, the lyrics of paperback writer, just the last thing I saw before I turned the light out every night. And that, was, that kind of moulded me subconsciously. I don't know. Like a mantra. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, it's kind of, you know. Dear Cyril, madam, will you read my book? It's about C86, will you take a look? Hey! There we go. <laughs> Very good. Uh, but what's it like, I mean, obviously, you know, with, with the C86 books, he revisited, you know, the, the mid-80s to the late 80s with that period. What, what's it been like going back a few years earlier and going into sort of like your more formative years it's for good. yourself? Uh, yeah, it's more formative, so I think things stuck a bit more. You know, I would have more memories, you know, I can recall you know, certain letters in Smash It's, certain, you know, interviews like the, the Julian Cope ones. So I think they stick more because I was only 12 at the time. By the time I'm kind of 15, 16, there's lots of other distractions. And yeah, so I couldn't, you know, reading The Enemy in 85, 86, I couldn't really tell you any particular features necessarily mm. that stuck out. I could, I could tell you about the singles that got stuck to the front, the seven-inch singles they used to put out and the tapes that I'd send, send off for. But in terms of the actual editorial, probably... A lot less. It's just more that they were kind of wayfinders saying, hey, there's new albums coming out for this band, that band. And by that stage, you're kind of deluged because you're listening to Janice Long, you're listening to John Beale. And so it's a lot more coming at you. Whereas Smash It's, even though we're talking about the wider, you know, the people who are interviewed hmm. are, you know, Toya, Toya being in that particular edition about 40 times, you know, um, it, 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 you're probably able to concentrate a lot more and have a good idea of all these more in depth knowledge on each one of these. But when you when when a wider world is even opened up to you, then it's probably you, you have less direct connection. If that makes sense, it makes perfect sense. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, after two hours, I make some perfect sense. Someone <laughs> understands me. Uh, well, thank you very much for thank joining you guys. Us I've, I've loved today. it. Loved it.
It's a, it's, it, it's a time machine, but it's a carousel. It's a carousel that reverses back in time. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's great fun. Thank you very much. <laughs> it yeah. is. Very well. I suppose we should uh, give a final mention to the book. Oh, you should. Uh, that's out now. Whatever Happened to the C86 Kids and Indie Odyssey. Um, so that's out. Wherever you get books from, um, nine, eight books, I've, I've put that one out. And uh, highly recommended from uh, the uh, Giddy Pop Towers. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I'm right. <laughs> and uh, thanks to you lot out there for listening. Don't forget to check out our website giddypoppod.home.blog where you'll find the links to the issue of Smash It's that we've been looking at along with those Spotify and YouTube playlists so you can enjoy your ride on the carousel to its fullest and of course you can check out our previous episodes playlists and scans our back issues if you will while you're there and if you want to support us you can paint our faces onto the bonnet of a car or you could buy <laughs> us a coffee and you know what to do go to ko-fi.com forward slash giddypoppod and if you feel moved enough to leave us a review, then please do. And come and say hello to us at Giddy Pop Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if we're in a good mood, we might even say hello back, might we, say? Si? Yeah, if we notice the notifications, since social media's gone all a bit um, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's spinning round and round on the carousel at the moment. So we will eventually. Uh, say hello at some point or other. We'll do our best. <laughs> we'll do our We're best. We're two middle-aged men, <laughs> confused by life. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Bye. You can say bye as well, mate. Bye. There we are. <laughs>